Welcome to the trailer review with Bartholomew Kerfaffle. Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the podcasting realm. I am Bartholomew Kerfaffle, and I will be reviewing the Titans trailer by DC. Um, I have no experience with Titan. Well, that is not true. I believe the Titans were the elder gods in Greek mythology, and I don't remember them turning into teenagers, but uh, I have not boned up on my Greek mythology in some time. So it starts with a girl that uh, she's very clearly lost. She has she is looking for her father or her mother. I assume they're good people because in my experience, goth girls always have good parents and they grow up to rebel against them in their early years as indicated by the purple hair. And she goes into this tent and then there's screams, and which I like because it shows you that it is a scary trailer. You know, this isn't meant, if you had a two-year-old in the room, they would start crying. Which is why it's like you at least need to be five or six. And even then, you still might uh, uh, jump at hearing the screams, at, like I did. And then she starts talking to what looks like an IRS auditor. And she says, you are a boy from the circus, which... Uh, this is my first nitpick, is he is not a boy. He is very clearly a grown man. I prefer that she refer to him as such. She should probably call him Sir. That is her elder. And it flashes back to trapeze artists uh, falling, which is why you should always have at least like a safety net beneath there. I mean, really, this is just like safety 101. The circus probably was shut down because of health code violations. And then the boy holds up what looks like the letter R. He must have gotten this from, I assume, a Fruit Loops or a similarly branded uh, cereal. And when he throws it, it shows you how dangerous these things can be. You know, kids these days, uh, they cut themselves on their own toys. That's why everything has to be wrapped in the bubble wrapping. So then it cuts to a scene of a bunch of youths standing around in a circle in an alleyway, which what I assume they're doing is they're playing with jacks because a lot of youths used to do that in my day, you know. And the IRS auditor comes down dressed up in a, I believe it's a superhero costume similar to the Batman. Now, I have not seen a Batman films, but I have it on good authority that the the Batman is a pervert that likes to capture boys and sell them to Iranian ambassadors, and then they get blown up with their mothers. That's just from what I've heard is canonical. And so it shows you how demented and twisted that this IRS auditor's brain is, that this is his hero, this is who he aspires to be as the Batman. And naturally, as Batman are wont to do, he begins murdering people and stabbing them and shooting them. And it's all shown in the darkness so that you do not have to vomit when you see the blood like I had to do. Like, even though it was silhouetted, I still vomited a little because the sounds were so realistic. And then the central point, the, the climax of the trailer, if you will, is the IRS auditor, he looks at the, the camera and he uses a dirty word, and I had to pause it at this point and look at my driver's license to make sure I was of legal age to see this. I've been of legal age for at least 40 years now. I, that, that should be something I remember. But I was so startled and shocked that I was watching this 
grotesque porno of gore and violence when he said those words when he said i do not like batman but more explicitly and to be fair i do not like batman but i do not condone uh that kind of language from there we get a lot of different cuts of angry violence we get the goth girl holding her arms out in a t pose and what i can only assume is to make fun of Christ, which again I found greatly offensive. And then we get a green boy jumping off of a roof, and my first thought is, why is he green? And then I realize he should be in a hospital. So that's greatly offensive that they were saying he's jumping off of this roof because he cannot stand being that green anymore, which I think nowadays shows you just how bad our healthcare system is, that we're not treating people for greenness anymore. And then we get a woman shooting fire out of her hands and she looks very surprised this is happening so i think this is yet again another medical condition that hasn't been diagnosed or properly treated and then there's people spinning with knives people getting hit with baseball bats people with blood pouring out of their mouths the goth girl says when i feel the darkness it feels good and that's obviously a reference to very vivid and violent masturbation techniques that she has been engaging in, obviously told to her by her goth friends. And then the trailer ends with the IRS auditor driving with the goth girl in the passenger side, and she relays to him that she was told that there are no monsters, and he replies back, I used to think that, but I was wrong which obviously he is going to make sexual advances on her. That is the only subtext that I can possibly pick up. So after I finished this trailer, I had to go wash my hands, use mouthwash. It shows how far we have fallen as a society, that this is what's going to be on Nickelodeon nowadays, from what I can tell. You know, back in my days when they had comic books, it was about Archie, you know, and Archie has never been in anything violent or disgusting or misogynistic. There's not been one iota of sexual innuendo in Archie, thank the Lord. And I wish comics could return back to that rather than being this dark and this this hard to see what's happening and this so many quick cuts. I, I started getting dizzy watching it. Anyway, I'm going to give this a final rating of A-. I think it was a terrible trailer. I think the show's going to be awful. I think art itself is garbage because of this. But I wish not to impose my thoughts or views on anyone else. And so because of that, I'm going to say it was a good effort. And I hope everyone involved in the casting is happy with the work that they did here. Thank you for listening. Next week, I'll be reviewing the movie Fifty Shades of Grey in about 2,000 parts. I have to watch the movie 12 seconds at a time because I start getting so nauseous when they look at each other. Because very clearly, all they want is each other's bodies, and that just does not sit well for me. I would rather watch a nice sunset. Anyway, goodbye. Hello and welcome to the end of it all, the bonus episode. <laughs> That's, what the fuck? That's guy got in my mind now. <laughs> so I was just talking about his uh, YouTube channel, the Evidol. If you want to check it out, uh, <laughs> now you get ads to other channels in the bonus casts. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. That was my tricky way to plug my other show, guys. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> Welcome uh, to Divisive Issues. Yes. Yeah. Where we're gonna talk about a comic book movie.
Yes. And this is the Backer exclusive episode two. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Sly, set the stage. I'll set the stage for you guys because you guys are going to be the most talking. Because we're going to be talking about Man of Steel. Uh, <sighs> Zack Snyder directed whatever year it came out. Epic. <laughs> I, I you can see epic. we do the research for these episodes pretty thoroughly. Yeah, like 2013. 2013 uh, film. It's supposed to kickstart the uh, DC film universe. Kind of failed to do it in a lot of ways. And I uh, think it, it perfectly foreshadowed what was to come. <laughs> And uh, so we, we always had like opposing thoughts on this. I'm not going to get into uh, super into my thoughts. I'm going to leave it to Daryl and Ryan to discuss it. The, the debate on whether Man of Steel is like a good direction for Superman, whether it's a good movie, etc., etc. Because okay. I've, I've had this conversation to death with Ryan specifically, mm-hmm. as he was the one who defended it to me. And also the conversations you have online and shit. Yeah. So uh, before we get to like our current thoughts, we should get to our initial thoughts when we first saw the movie. So, Daryl, what were your thoughts when you first saw this movie for the first time? So, I saw the movie with my family in a mall. I remember we were sitting down, I think, at, like, an Applebee's afterwards, and we were talking about, or at least myself and my sister were talking about how much we actually did enjoy the movie. Like, we thought it was pretty cool. It had really good action. We enjoyed it, what they did with Superman. Like, we were overall pretty pleased with it. And then come to find out, you know, you go online and you look up responses and reviews, and they're all, like, scathing and negative. And, uh, Ryan, what were your initial thoughts? Because I know them, but the viewers might not. Okay. Well, listeners, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, when I first saw it, I actually enjoyed it. But there was always the caveat that I was like, I think it's an interesting direction. I think it's an interesting setup mm-hmm. for an early Superman who doesn't understand his powers. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see how it is followed up on in future films. And apparently, the things that I thought were interesting and intentional subversions were just Zack Snyder being bad. <laughs> oh, yeah? So that's getting into Ryan's thoughts now. So I'm assuming that means you think thoughts are, uh, the movie's bit bad now? I really don't like this movie. But wow. I want to just say, I just want to have a caveat, that this is a backer bonus episode. We're not going to go through the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. No. So if you haven't seen it, I mean, I guess watch it. I rented it on Amazon for $3. If you haven't seen it, if you know anything about it, you should you, you probably will know everything about it just by the fucking all the discussions you've seen online about it. Like, yeah, I, I've, I, I yeah. have seen this movie discussed so much that I could recite the plot like, without even seeing the film probably at this point. Like, I, I could like, wipe it from my memory and remember, know the plot. Even just like reading a, rev- a couple of reviews or like the Wikipedia article is enough. Because I'm going to very, I'm going to try to knock it into, like, the minutia of, like, this, I think, is a dumb moment, or this is a dumb line. I'm going to try to talk about it more I mean, you, you can if you want, if we want to bring yeah, up, like, a... nitpicky stuff. We, we got time to country. fill here. That's yeah. why I said I'm going to try. <laughs> okay. uh, Daryl, so, like, do you still uh, have those same thoughts, Daryl, or did you... So, I feel weird about a lot of stuff regarding this movie, kind of. <laughs> um, I, I'm Daryl, I feel weird about a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true in general, too because i've read superman a lot more now so i know like i don't know superman himself really well because i've only read so many writers writing him but like watching the movie it's very clear he's not like he's really stoic in this movie and he's really Mm -hmm. kind of bland and i always thought superman was bland so when i watched the movie the first time i was like this is fine this is a okay personality but here when you watch it it's like he's not like doing superman things really like i always thought because he saved people that was superman enough but it's like he's not inspiring people the movie kind of takes it for granted that people are going to look up to him and people are going to want to emulate him instead of like 
but why would they? You know, what is he doing besides just making sure a building doesn't fall on a child? So after Man of Steel came out, and, like, I saw it a couple times and thought about it, and Sly yelled at me a lot that it was terrible, I started to think about it in context of, like, okay, maybe this isn't, like, the best telling of Superman, but Mm -hmm. I personally like when liberties are taken with adaptations. Yeah, like, I I really love Batman Begins and uh, Dark Knight. Yeah, exactly. Because if it's going to be exactly the same, you'll get something like Watchmen, where it's really close, and then the slight changes they make are so glaring. Yeah. Which is also Zack Snyder. So I was fine with it being different and like a different interpretation but then especially when you see batman v superman and justice league it is just like oh superman's this ideal hero that everybody idolizes and he's the good guy and i'm like why do they idolize him? I, I was going to bring up that that's another thing why this movie is weird is because you know what direction the dc extended universe takes so you watch this and there are some things where it's just like it doesn't get fixed like spoilers for Batman v Superman, Superman's death in it. I feel like it's not earned the sadness from it, nor is in Justice League everyone being so heartbroken earned because he doesn't, there's not enough time spent being like Superman's a good person rather than just like he's a superhero that saves people. It's such an interesting thing that this is like what kickstarts the universe Mm -hmm. because I feel like both Batman v Superman and then Justice League are much better if you watch them first like batman v superman is still very bad yeah and justice yeah. league is still very flawed but i feel like if you watch the movies in order like if you just every time you skip one the universe just gets better <laughs> the, the first, so that's one thing i wanted to know um because mm-hmm. i think batman v superman like the more i reflect on it batman v superman is a better film uh because i, I wouldn't say that but go ahead yeah i wouldn't I, say that either <laughs> i think it's i think i, I honestly think it's a better film uh, i think it's more the tone like it's accomplishes the tone it's trying to go for. Okay. It is what it, like it is supposed to be a bleak, dark film. Like the, the like it still has a lot of shit that sucks. Like the fucking doomsday shit. Like that's that should have been cut from the movie entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wonder Woman should be cut from the movie entirely. Should be just be Batman Superman. Super bleak, super dark. They're being shit at each other. Uh, like uh, it's just pure misery. That's what the movie was. <laughs> like, that's what that yeah. movie should have been. And, like the time, the times where it falls. Like this movie is trying to be optimistic, but it failed at that. Yeah. Well, um, Batman v Superman was trying to be bleak, and then it tried to be also a uh, setting for Just League, which it failed to do that, that too. But the thing that makes um, Alpha my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so Daryl, you said your opinions kind of changed now that you know superman a little bit better yeah like that that's one reason for the weirdness it was like there's multiple reasons for the weirdness why i had watching this it's like knowing what direction this universe goes in knowing superman himself and then when i'm trying to watch it and judge it as a movie and its themes rather than like because the first time i watch it, i'm just like hey this is a cool superman movie now i watch it again and i'm like trying to pay attention to themes and what you're doing and it's like because there's, like, one scene where he shows a polar bear jumping across, like, ice caps, and it pans up to, like, Superman's ship. And there's another when he's passed out after the oil rig, and he's in the water, and, like, a whale swims by. And I'm like, okay, you got, like, these earthy themes going where you're showing the animals. And I thought that was something that was going to get brought up when it's... Because, you know, the central conflict is, let's change Earth to Krypton. Like, F these people. They don't deserve to live here anymore. And, like, it, it, it bypasses so many opportunities to do stuff with that theme i feel like i mean you even have like the fact that papa kent died trying to save the dog like i i just i get so confused with some parts of this movie because i'm like it could have gone in like this direction or this direction like i'm not so much mad with what they did with superman's character as far as like weird as 
how different he is and him being like kind of bland and stuff as long as it like it it coincides well with the movie and its themes but it didn't even make me care that much for the world when it was like really yeah. pushing for you to be like does he feel like he belongs here does he feel like these people are worth protecting or does he feel like his own people have messed up to the point where they aren't worth bringing back because he... i think that's what i was trying to get to with my point and i lost my train of thought yeah. um it's better if you ignore this film because you can imagine in Batman v Superman that stuff is better set up than it is here. Yeah. Like if you if you imagine Batman v Superman, like the, all the stuff they do in Batman v Superman where all the people are worshiping him and stuff like that, and like it just happens in Batman v Superman, so you could just assume he's closer to comic Superman. It works better in that sense, but knowing this is a setup for I it, where like, all of it is. I feel like almost in Zack Snyder's mind, though, it's just like it's just taken for granted that people are going to worship is. him just because he's an alien. Like that's it. Like that's the only reason he he needs to be worshipped. Well, I, I think they take it for granted because it's Superman. Like he's kind of like playing on what people expect to see in the Superman movie, mm-hmm. while also inverting yeah. them at the same time and not setting up a consistent. Uh, like tone or anything like that. Yeah, that's actually a big problem that I have with the universe in general, with the exception of Wonder Woman. Because, like, when you look at the Marvel universe, they had a bunch of characters that most people couldn't give a shit about. Like, you, nobody cared about the Guardians of the Galaxy. Nobody cared about Ant Man. Nobody cared. Nobody even cared about Iron Black Man. Panther. Even like, yeah, yeah. And they were characters that nobody really cared about. And then they were like, we have to make people care about it. Where like when Batman Begins came out, Chris Nolan had to make it reputable because the movie that was before it was ba- Batman and Robin with George Clooney and fucking <laughs> yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So like he had to earn the audience back where they just took for like slide definitely like I think you nailed it where it's like they took for granted that people would look up to Superman mm. and like especially thematically I don't get what the theme of this movie is because like uh. Superman's supposed to be like he's the alien that's actually the most human of us mm. like yeah. that's like the character in this movie. Like, every time he does something heroic, he gets shamed for it <laughs> for, like, the whole first, like, three quarters of the movie. There's, like, this weird, there's, like, this weird arc here because uh, Superman, it's all about him rejecting the, his father's legacies. You have Pa Kent, who's like, you should uh, try to keep heads to the ground and stuff like that. Yeah, he's have... like, when he even asked him, should I have let that kid die in the school bus? And he goes, maybe. I'm like, this is a weird, like, thing to put yeah. in this movie. But I guess it is... Yeah, going for the theme of rejecting your father's legacy. Yeah, yeah, but just funny because he rejects uh, Pac. Also, that kid is uh, Pete Pete Ross, who we yeah. talked about in our last Patreon <laughs> So we're continuing the Pete Ross bonus episode. <laughs> yeah, that's that's every episode now is Pete Ross related. No, no more anything else. <laughs> but you have, uh, he's rejecting um, Pac Kent's legacy because of that. Then he's rejecting Joel's legacy because Joel set up this whole plan to preserve Krypton's legacy. And Superman's like, no, fuck you, babies. You're all dead now. So he like he like he betrays his fathers in like the worst way possible, killing whole Krypton's hope for survival. Well, and, I, I thought uh, like Jor-El himself when he was talking to Zod. I forget what specifically they said. I thought he was like, don't make more babies here. Like, what are you doing? I was there. This is general. The, the babies, in, the, the Krypton babies in general are like for as big as a plot device they are, they mm-hmm. are not discussed nearly enough. And, like, the impact of it's killing kind, them... It's, it's weird. It feels like something that was rewritten in the plot, where it's like, let's make yeah. the focus of it being, like, do you want your people back? And that's like, actually, the Codex is in Clark's DNA, and then it kind of just ends there. Like It feels like Transformers MacGuffin shit. So, Zack Snyder, I think it's because he's a fucking shit storyteller and doesn't understand subtlety well, remember, at all. Remember, the story, the story was made by Goyer and um, Nolan. Themselves. Yeah, that is that is worth uh, mentioning. Oh, that's 
fucking I forgot that. And it kind of uh, uh, pulled me in the direction of Ryan on like Dark Knight because Ryan's not a fan of Dark Knight. No, okay, I like it a lot. No, you I don't. just you said it's a bad script. You said it has a bad script. So. Uh, it does have a bad script. Uh, that's like that's like ninety percent of movie writing. Uh, like, have a nice trip. See you next fall. Great line to put in a Batman movie. And uh, but uh, my problem isn't with that. You are a guy that reads comics, and then you have a yeah, problem. Yeah, like, like Ryan can fuck off with that criticism. Like okay, yeah. my my only problem. I will say this right now. My problem with the Nolan movies is that I feel like he tries to elevate the material to a I don't want to say pretentious but to a realistic level and a deeper level and I don't think it fully succeeds in that that's that's not my problem my problem with it is like the plots always like he's not great at coming up with plots like and there's always heavy plot holes like Man Begins I love it but it really makes no sense like how that gas wasn't released earlier while people were just boiling water in the, the details <laughs> yeah. and shit and like uh the spying angle in Dark Knight uh, it was it just it feels like I was thrown in there just to add a, hell, a heavy question about much to say about it. Like, oh, we'll just use it for this one scene to find the Joker, and then you have that the whole elaborate way of how they defragmented the bullet. Like, yeah, yeah, he has like it's like weird, like all these uh, over the top ideas and what's supposed. And that's to be what weird. I mean is if it wasn't like setting out to be like the real world, then like in any other Batman movie, like I would have no problem with that at all. Like I have less of a problem with the penguins with rockets on their back in Batman oh Returns because it fits with the world better. <laughs> yeah, Burn. Uh, setting up a fancy like almost like a dark fairy tale like it makes yeah, exactly like, you can't say oh mm. where, where is fucking penguins coming out of because the whole world feels like a yeah weird, it's like, thematically surreal. consistent yes yeah. but my thing with man of steel with this whole baby thing so real quick because it's it's such a shoehorned in plot there's a ship that has like all the potential babies of krypton and the there's some, like, magic MacGuffin that has all their DNA in it. and This has been a theme in Superman stories, especially Superman origin stories, forever. Where the theme is, he has to choose between being a Kryptonian or being an Earthling. Mm-hmm. Like, he has to choose between his birth home or his adopted home. And I... You can have that choice without him having to literally choose between who survives. Yeah, he he plays like executioner. Like I mean, executioner. but yeah. the thing is, like Zod was flying the ship that that he was in and everything. Yeah, like I get I get the choice thematically, but the problem is if you're gonna paint Superman as this like altruistic hero who wants to save everybody, he doesn't try to work out any sort of scenario where Krypton can also live. Yeah, and also one big weird thing that another reason why I feel like like Daryl said feels like it was rewritten to the plot. The emphasis they put on uh, Superman killing Zod at the end feels like what they should have put on a Superman killing Krypton. Like the baby stuff gets forgotten. As as, him, like, like yes, 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 and him killing Zod is like Cavill did good acting in that scene, but like it doesn't make any sense because it's never, never established that he doesn't want to kill enemies. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. and like, after all of them died, like... Yeah, it's uh, like, screw Zod, he was trying to murder civilians. It's like, it, yeah, it, he and... doesn't have to be like, I need everybody to live. Like, it, he, he never once said that in this movie. And, like, I took that as he's the only other Kryptonian, so, like, he realized he wasn't alone. But, like... That's just me reading into Superman lore. Like, they don't establish that in the movie at all. Yeah. It's so weird because if, it feels like the whole movie was rewritten in general. Like, it felt like this whole baby plot and them destroying uh, crypt- New York, Manhattan, whatever the fuck. Metropolis. Uh, Metropolis, sorry. Yeah. All these fucking cities I'm adding. <laughs> um, it feels like all of that was, like, added in by Zack Snyder because he wanted these cool action scenes. And, like, it's like all this noise getting in the way of what was originally more of a simple plot where it's just, like, Superman... Uh, snapping Zod's neck after he threatens a few people because after all that happened, it makes no sense for that be a bit, to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like 
snapping Solid's neck is like a no-brainer. That yeah, especially because yeah. we've seen so much destruction, which is actually yeah. that's that is something I kind of like about the movie. As you guys were talking about that, like how Batman v Superman's about misery, and I feel like this movie is kind of about misery a lot too. Which is, I think, maybe that's why I enjoy about Snyder's works is that it is about like suffering is not taken for granted. It's not just like, oh, there's a thing that happens. It's like it specifically he zooms in on it, where it's like Superman being bullied for like every good thing that he does, or him having to like hold back his strength. And then at the end, when you have like the the planet terraforming thing, and it's which is just like such an awesome scene of everyone being lifted up into the air and then crushed against the ground because it shows you. Sly and I had talked about this a while back. During superhero movies, you want to look for, like, gravitas and importance, and you want the scenes to feel weight, like the conflict to feel weight, so that you're like, they have to do something to stop this. Whereas, like, there's a lot of movies, like, Marvel really likes doing it, where they have a bunch of, like, an army of zombie type of things, where just the main character is fighting them and feeling cool, and there's no um, risks there. It's Mm. just like, oh, look, these guys are fighting. But when you see, like, that planet the terraformer going on you're like this city is like destroyed this city is never going to be the same again and you you just hope superman can stop that amount of damage from spreading everyone's already like they have um dust in their lungs forever now and they're going to be sick forever from this but like it it's you you feel the importance of him having to stop these people as opposed to like a lot of other movies and the, and the opposite thing the one the other reason why like, there's a question whether, like, stuff like, like, the Dark Superman approach is good or not is, like, another debate. The question is whether this movie did it right. Mm-hmm. And, like, I agree with you, everything you said about, like, the that, that impact of that moment. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, then they have this weird moment afterwards where, yes. as soon as Superman shows up, they're, they're like, wow, Superman saved us. They're all happy immediately. Like, everyone's dead That's around That's the thing. Them. The scene after it is him slamming a satellite into, like, a dirt road that the army's driving past. And he's like... I think you can trust me. You don't have to spy even on more, me. Even, even more immediately than that, like the Superman saves the city, and he meets with the Lois, and they're they're like they start joking, like oh the first yeah, kiss and is even more yeah. immediately than that, everything starts happening with the terraformer, and he, he goes and he tells like the army the plan, and then he does like that joke with Lois where he's like I'm gonna fly away now, and then she has to step back, and he's like further than that, and like she smiles and like almost winks at him. I'm like yeah. this. People are dying every single second that this happens. Yeah. And also, uh, when as soon as they move like a few blocks from where the terraforming thing is, Metropolis is fine. Like there's no sign of anyone panicking or like any damage whatsoever. Like they go like a five blocks down the street and Metropolis is fine. Like that's where this, the final fight with Zod takes place. Like people are still in the streets after all that's happening further down. Like nine eleven basically happened and you go down a few blocks and everything's untouched. No, no, but it, the field was spreading over time, which is why when he lands and like kisses Lois, he's in a giant empty thing because everything was permanently crushed into the yeah. earth. Yeah, but when you, when it's showing like the next scene where they start fighting Zod, it feels like nothing like like nothing happened. Like uh, But that's like, the thing is... that like that's why I was cautiously optimistic go like when this ended because I was like, okay, this is what it's like when gods fight in your city. I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that that's the theme. And if they, like, especially Lex Luthor is going to be the villain in Batman v Superman. And Luthor is the ultimate, like, we have to keep gods in check. That's, like, yeah. his whole role as a comic book villain. So when I was like, okay, Luthor is going to run an anti-Superman campaign based on the fact that he destroyed a fucking city. And that isn't what happens. <laughs> like, that's well, Batman, not the Batman follow-up. gets manipulated, kind of. Yeah, Batman yeah. becomes yeah. that, in a way. Yeah. But, like, even that... It's still, like, that's never really the argument. It's like, we just have to fight for a little while until we team up to fight the real bad guy. Mm-hmm. 
I was gonna say Saint Marfa. Yeah, and I never, I never felt like the the weight of the moments we see, where like we see like what is basically a nine eleven event yep. in this city, yep. it, if not worse than that, and you feel the weight in there because Zack Snyder loves his destruction porn, mm-hmm. and it looks very impressive, and you do feel the gravitas. And this is the this is the prettiest uh, DC film. Out of yeah, all. but. I like the way Wonder Woman is shot better, but that's besides I, the point. I, I, I really don't like that like blue tint throughout the whole film, but... Okay, well, what I mean is we feel the weight in special effects, but I feel like we never feel the weight plot-wise throughout the entire DC Universe. Like, this doesn't give the weight that Schneider put on film. He doesn't put it into the script. See, mm. It's hard, too, because a lot of times we're judging this with the foreknowledge of where Snyder goes with the universe and then, like, knowing that DC's trying to course correct right now and try and make it lighter and everything, that it's kind of just, like, it, it it spits in the face of what this movie tries to do on top of this own movie spitting in its own mm. face <laughs> for for yeah. some of the, the, the jokey jokes after, like, such weighty, destructive moments. Well, uh, the, the problem is that back when this movie was new, people were excusing it, saying there are building towards something you gotta let them do it and yeah uh for as soon as like Batman vs. Superman was announced to be the first follow-up and not Man of Steel 2 or even like a solo Batman film immediately people were like uh what and when they realized that Superman wasn't uh, really alert like there wasn't really a, a, really a growth period for Superman it's just he goes to Batman vs. Superman everyone thinks he's a god and great like there's no like period where he's transitioning to be the Superman we know and love uh, yeah. So, like, all the excuses that this film was a learning Superman kind of flew out the window. It's just like, this is how Superman is, but everyone loves him, despite the fact he is kind of shitty uh, I, as a I'm, I'm trying to think about this movie, like, on its own, by its own merits, and, like, when it came out and everything, rather than trying to look at the justifications that were, like, made for it. And I, I still think, like, there's a lot of parts of the movie that I do like, like... um I, I think it's it's color tinting is really good. I really like that focus. Oh, yeah, the, I don't like the. Color I really like that focus yeah, is on blue. blacks and yellows instead of straight up blues and oranges. Like yeah, too many blues in, in Hollywood. Knock it off, blue. Yeah, yeah. You have to do it in way more like <laughs> subtle ways. With like you highlight something, or again, like here, it's the blue's been reduced so much it's almost like black, and the orange is lifted so much it's almost like yellow, which I really like. And the sound direction's really good. I really like the the fights in it. When I was watching, I'm like, this is still like him fighting the other two Zod's henchmen in the town is still one of the best superhero fights I think I've seen on a film. See, the thing though is, if they're trying to convince us that Superman is a hero. And I know that, like, the arguments, but let's take this movie at its, at its, on its face, that at the end, he explicitly tells the American government, don't worry, I'm a hero. And then the soldier, who was a first responder in Metropolis, says he's kinda hot. So we're supposed to take at its face that he is a hero. That fight that you're talking about, mm-hmm. they are in an open field, and Superman drags them into a town. He, he doesn't yeah. drag I'm them into with... a town. He punches. He does. He, he, well, he's flying with Zod. He, and he punches him punch. in the, not not town. He punches him into an, uh, a gas station full of people and blows up the, the gas station. Yeah, so because he doesn't know his own uh, power. He, he hasn't got into a fight with anyone. No, but there's no level. indication of that. There's no indication of that in the film. Okay, he never no, stops. And looks shot and looks shocked at what he did. He just keeps fighting as nothing happened. That's the thing, is I understand that would be a powerful moment if Superman, who's never used his powers to its full extent before, punched somebody and he ended up blowing up a gas station. That would be powerful. But you know what Superman does? He keeps punching them and then no. into other he buildings. He flies down there Sears, and he, he we does... We see a Sears twice. <laughs> he warns them, stay inside and lock your doors. After he brought the fight to them. And that's, that's, that's it felt like, a, like it was done so poorly. If, after 
fighting multiple times, like blowing up a gas station, people are already dead. Like at two minutes, see, I, I, I hate, I, this is what something I was thinking of, or like this is one of my defenses for this movie is I hate the fact that like everyone focuses that why would you fight in the crowd town? Why would you fight in Metropolis and stuff? He brought the fight there. He brought the fight there, and there's no if there was sufficient indication that he regretted it. There was never even discussion of yeah. Of, like why I, 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 that. I agree that he should have regretted it. That would have been very important. But I hate this feeling where it's like superheroes are so powerful they should be able to control like where the setting of their fights are and everything. No. No, 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 I'm not saying that he should have been able to take him out. I'm saying that he should be trying. Yeah, and me and Ryan talked about the fact that uh, Ryan started this episode saying he was fine with an alternate director take. And I'll, I'll say right now, I would be fine if this was an ex- inexperienced Superman handled right. Like, if it was really, throughout the whole film, you felt like uh, he was really regretting it. There was a lot of thought put into it. But there's more thought putting it to him snapping Zod's neck, like when we talked about. Yeah. That's not yeah. emphasis on his character. Like, it's, it's, it's emphasis on him being experienced. They, they should have had that, at least that much focus on the neck snapping as they have on him being inexperienced. I agree. There's enough. I, or yeah. even if you're not going to have him be constantly trying to help them, maybe he doesn't realize because he's just not used to fighting under this much pressure. The movie shouldn't end with a joke about how he's a sexy hero. It should end with him looking at the destruction and being like, oh my God, I have to be better. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like, if you end it by him being like, you could trust me, like, that just to me, no, you definitely can't. Like, you're, you should be the, like, maybe not the bad guy of the movie, but you're certainly not the hero. Yeah, again, like, I agree, like, I really think that would be a way more interesting thematic direction for it to take. Yeah, exactly. Is to look at it and be like, is there something I could have done better to save more people rather than, like, doing this? I just – I hate that that trope in, like, superhero comics where everyone has, like – because I like villains being powered to the point where they do feel ominous and threatening. Because kind of like in real life, you don't get to control how powerful your villains are. It's just, like, how best to deal with this threat right now. And I, I like Superman having to just, like, fight with Zod in the city and, like, he's not – if he tried to get away, it'd be the kind of thing where Zod could kill him if he was if he turned his back to Zod, which is what I yeah. respect and I I'm like that I like that angle to it, but and I also want the re- regret there too. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things in comics because uh, they want to uh, not have too much too many war crimes. Like, there are like a lot of the superiors committed war crimes over time, like especially X Men. X Men almost all of them should be in fucking prison, but they don't <laughs> want to have too many. Uh, uh, war crimes on these characters. Yeah. So you have stuff like in the comics, they have a, it's canon that Hulk never kills anyone during any of his rampages, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, there's no way Hulk. Yeah. And when they brought that up in the 2003 Hulk film, where they, they specifically show out every person that Hulk, Hulk was a tank, everyone says, I'm fine. Don't worry, guys, I'm fine. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Oh, okay. Like in the film, it's well, that happens in like, in like cartoons all the time. Like the Batman animated series, Batman is always throwing guys off buildings mm-hmm. and stuff, but they always like land in, in garbage. A dumpster yeah. And go, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or things like that. Yeah. Which and, is, and like, well, I like that. Again, this is like a clean slate kind of for Snyder to do this. I I like seeing the destruction that you don't see in regular superhero films where like Ryan was saying, where it this these are like two gods fighting. It's like people just bystanders are gonna suffer from their their clashes. Yeah. But that's not thematically relevant. Yeah. 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 Well, Again, like Sly that, said, yeah. Zod, like it's given more consideration than the entire people of Metropolis. Like, yeah. not once is he like, oh, shit, like, this is messed up, what happened. He, but yeah. it, with Zod, he's like, oh, no. But that's, that's an important distinction to make because uh, that's that's one, one one thing that gets muddied in this argument is whether the idea of Superman, like, being inexperienced and Superman failing and, like, uh, these guys causing some destruction mm-hmm. should be allowed to happen or whether this film did that right. And I think that's why Daryl always felt defensive in this movie because people argue that Superman should be saving people left and right and, like, 
uh, no one should be dying ever because Superman is so great. And I- yeah, that he's supposed to always like put like himself in the way of other people, which is like kind of cool. But like, I want there to be cost to that. You can't just take a bullet for someone yeah. and be like, "I'll just keep doing this like every single day of my life." Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, one thing we can agree on for sure, though, is this is definitely the best interpretation of Guardian, though, right? I was just gonna bring that up. So. Fans of the show should know how much we love Guardian, our favorite Superman character, mm-hmm. yeah. from our Death of Superman episodes. So, Daryl, what did you think of Chris Maloney as Guardian? Who? <laughs> the, guy, the guy from Law and Order SVU. Who? He's the military guy that uh, is like inexplicably a main character. Who? <laughs> He's like the head army guy, and they call him Guardian like twice. That, for some that reason, was it's Guardian? Guardian. Yes, <laughs> I thought it was just some like military because I thought they were really playing up the angle about our armed service men and women being such powerful figures and stuff that they're like they're so heroic. It felt like a uh, Michael Bay like trying to invoke that uh, Michael Bay like super patriotism. Yeah, I thought it was them like yeah. putting that onto this guy to be like, look, like a good death is its own reward, kind of a thing. Yeah, but wow, but he's Guardian. Uh, so best version of Guardian ever. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> no, see, I like stupid Guardian more. <laughs> it's sort of like it's uh, sort of like if they made Guy Gardner a lot less like offensive and stuff. It'd yeah, be like, eh. whereas like I really like stupid Guardian doing stupid things. That's fair. That's, that's so fair. I have another thing that I just want to complain about briefly. Sure. So I know Sly has a big problem with the Chosen One motif. Oh, I hate it. It's so. I understand, though, that part of Superman, like, everybody knows Superman's origin. He's, like, the last son of Krypton. Like, I get that. But I find it so obnoxious that they not only made him, like, the last surviving member of Krypton, but they also made him the first natural-born child in, like, a thousand years. And, like, everything about Superman is, like, look look at his destiny. See, that was another frustrating thing, again, why this, like, movie, on a rewatch, I'm, like, I'm a bit frustrated because I'm, like... I don't understand what the natural born stuff versus the synthetic children thematically. What are you talking about there? Like, what are you trying to tell me as a like? Should I f- yeah, want I more know. natural births instead of like? I, 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 I think it's always like that shit because it's a cliche in films that like they, oh everything's getting more artificial. Natural stuff is always better. It's like this hippy dippy. Which bullshit. is weird because it's juxtaposed against Zod being a traditional nationalist. Yeah, which is it like that it. seems like something Zod would want is for natural birds instead of like all these synthetic this, ones. But instead, yeah. Clark's dad does it. And he's just yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> One of the best things I could summarize is Ariel's takes. She'd never seen this movie before. And I was like, let's watch this fucking movie. <laughs> so I put it on, and we're like 10 minutes in, and she asked two questions. Why is it so fucking dark? <laughs> and then the second was, what are all these fucking dragons doing here? <laughs> oh, yeah, those so, dragons. It's an alien planet. So in Krypton, and like, this could be interesting, where Krypton is supposed to be this high-tech sci-fi city, but it also has these, like, crazy alien life forms yeah. like dragons I, and these I, I want to point out I really loved a lot of the art design of the Krypton I think whoever was the the visionary behind that did a really good job I, like the way I describe it is that it's sexless HR Geiger like instead of being like oh obviously uh, yeah. this is a so it's just like it's a lot of like dark bony structures there's a lot of like like the hills there are like stone hills that like hide a city below which is really cool and like even the gate to the phantom zone has tentacles with like orbs at the end that emit electricity and and just think about like a designer for when it's like oh i have to draw like an interdimensional gate what would that look like and the fact that they kept going 
in a lot of directions to evoke jellyfish imagery was really neat with this movie which i like that the kryptonians feel alien it's also it's also that's uh, definitely fair it accomplishes what a lot of people wanted to accomplish because the biggest problem especially after superman returns which was uh, just a remake of superman one no one can convince me otherwise fuck that film <laughs> uh there was like this film that the feeling that they'll never get past uh don the films as great as they are uh, we do want a modern different update and uh uh, they definitely did a, a different but uh, still kind of cool uh, version of Krypton that didn't feel all like the crystal super advanced Krypton. Yeah. It's more dark. Like That's actually uh, really interesting because we're not going to get into this whole big thing sideways. Yeah. But you're, we were talking about the Spider-Man films recently, not on air, but like as friends, mm-hmm. as we are wont to do. Pay $60 so a was... month and we'll let you act, have access <laughs> to yeah. the chat. And Sly was saying how he much prefers the Raimi films to the other ones. And your reasoning was so interesting because you said like the, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said like when you already have something that's so close to a definitive take, anything else feels like tweaks just to make it different. Like an alternate universe take, basically. Yeah, like an alternate universe take. And I found that so interesting because I'm a huge Superman 1 and 2 fan. And, like, I love those movies so much. And I still think Superman 2 is, like, a perfect superhero movie. And they're so definitive Superman and Lois Lane takes for me that, like, so much other Superman feels like they're trying either too hard to be that or too hard not to be that. And, like, when you said it about Spider-Man, I was like, I don't know about that. But seeing it this way, I totally get what you're talking about now. Yeah, and that's why, uh, like, I wasn't against this. Like, a lot of people probably were against this film just from the start. But I was down for something different because, mm-hmm. like, we, we had Sumeri Trends, which was a shitty Donner film. Mm-hmm. Like, I had a, I have the Donner films. I can watch them if I want to. Like, I want something different. Mm-hmm. And this was, at the very least, this was something completely different. Yeah, it's something you can, like, pick apart and analyze. Uh, we do also get to see Pete Ross call Clark Kent a dick splash. That's yeah, pretty that good. Yeah, that was okay. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's a couple things in this movie which Snyder does. He goes like a little overboard with stuff like that. Like, I don't think we need to see like two separate scenes of Clark King bullied. Actually, it's three because of that guy in the bar that like throws a beer can at his head and goes, do you like? I'm like, you <laughs> went overboard here. Like, you can do this without being like a, a joke. There's nothing subtle in this movie. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Even the religious imagery. <laughs> oh, the religious. Yeah. Just like every Nolan uh, Goyer film, right? <laughs> yeah. That, that's a different argument for a different day. Uh, yeah, not not too. So people, don't, uh, I don't hate uh, Golan and Neuer. Uh, Golan and Neuer. But, <laughs> Nolan and Goyer, but um, I, I they, they are uh, beat you over the head with their uh, themes a lot. Hmm. So we originally thought that this was going to be Daryl con- trying to convince me that this movie's good. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's not what it was. <laughs> <laughs> And I was, I was supposed to be moderating, but I, I just became a part of the conversation. So. <laughs> I thought it would be, like, more of a back and forth, but it's really kind of just a review about how this movie's not that great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually like this movie as, like, my second favorite DCEU one. Like, I really like it a lot more than Justice League and a bit more than Batman v Superman. It, it's a better film than Justice League. and, 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 I, and I would say I like Justice League a lot more, but I would say Man of Steel is a better film. And also, uh, Justice League is fucking ugly as shit and this movie looks beautiful. <laughs> so that's, that's, one, that's one difficult See, point. I still don't think this movie looks beautiful. The special effects look like really good, but like just the colors are so washed out that it. They, like... they are, but like that's the thing. Like you're still looking at it as a DC film. Well, I'm looking at it as like just aesthetically, mm-hmm. like for what it's mm-hmm. doing, like almost like kind of like when Tim Burton was supposed to be at helm to direct 
that Superman lives, like it's almost close to that at the points. Especially like when Superman's in the skulls being buried by the skulls, like it feels like a super gothic take on But Superman. I guess for me, that's the the thing that I hate the most about the movie is how inconsistent that is. Like the color scheme is always dark, but then there's like goofs and stuff, and it's like yeah. Too- yeah, and, and also even the, like that approach, like it has like a shaky cam at times. Mm-hmm. It's trying to go for a really a shaky lot, cam at times. It's going for very cinematic sci-fi approach. Or something. Like it's very inconsistent, even with that approach. But like uh, Snyder, like even when it's inconsistent, he I always just like looking at films. Like I yeah, just look at me too. Uh, films quietly. Yeah. Like, you know, the volume. It's just kind of like. Uh, Mark Millar books. Like I could just look at the pages and not read the fucking dumb text. Yeah. I could just look at <laughs> yeah. There, there's there were a lot of shots that I really liked that he, he did throughout the film. Where I was like, you know what? I like no matter what you say about the writing in his films or thematically, like the inconsistent or the destruction points. Like everything's shot really well, and yeah, most true. of the that's audio true. works with it too. And also, um, my another defense for this movie. I know this is going long, but it's I also really like the villains in it too. Compared to I think every other DC EU villain. I would say. Oh yeah, what's what's her face? Fiora. Yeah, she was really awesome. You know what's really interesting? Uh, Gal Gadot was supposed to play her, but she couldn't because she was pregnant. So they cast her as Wonder Woman instead. Bet she's happier. Uh, It's funny because I forget. I keep forgetting her name. Fiora, Uh, the woman. Yeah, she is basically what Steppenwolf was trying to be. Yeah, Uh, like like. Seriously, like Steppenwolf, like people make excuses for Steppenwolf saying, "Oh, he's supposed to be like a, a filler, like a setup villain." Well, you could do that villain to just being a dick and like just destroying stuff. They did, they did it right with Man of Steel. Like that's what basically what she he, was. That's the thing is, she. I, I mean, I could probably talk about her for a while, but she. It's both in her actions, her movement, and the way she speaks to people is really great, and it's like it's not theatric, but it's really like captivating in its own way. Like where yeah. she does like headcocks. And the way in which she speaks to Superman and to like other people, that how she even tells again Guardian of all people is yeah. in this movie. Uh, she says that good death is its own roar. It's like it adds so much to the character when she only says like ten yeah. lines for the for the whole movie. She's a, she's a good actress, like that. Like yeah, well, was... okay, that's one thing I want to mention. Even though I have to just give a shout out for my girl Doctor Poison, who I love so much, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that the villains in this movie are really good, mm-hmm. and I think all the casting. And the acting is pretty top-notch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Like, even though, like, I this is not my favorite Superman take at all, I think Cavill is a great pick. Yeah, yeah he he could play Superman. Yeah. And especially with Justice League, I can now see him as actually Superman. Like, yeah. like, he actually acts like Superman that one versus just generic stoic guy like Daryl said yeah. in this one. Yeah. And, like, I thought, like, the dichotomy between Kevin Costner as Pa Kent and Russell Crowe's Jarrell, like, was... I think, like, they both played the father figures in very different and interesting ways. Like, even though I don't like the directions, mm-hmm. like, I think a lot of the acting is pretty great. And Michael Shannon is terrifying as well. Oh, Michael Shannon is fucking amazing. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's it's interesting that they made someone that's such an asshole kind of sympathetic. And when he's telling him, it's like, I was literally born to defend Krypton. Like, this is my life's goal, and you're destroying it. Yeah. The thing about him and, like, uh, the, uh, the other villains, they, they, you can believe that they believe what they're doing like they do what they're doing is right yeah. they're assholes they're, they believe in horrible things but they're so convincing and, it, in, yeah in, like, and it shows roles. you like his passion and his loss and that's something you never see from steppenwolf is like grief over the fact that you might be losing or you're losing yeah when steppenwolf loses at the end like it's almost like comical like it's a playful laugh yeah at the, when steppenwolf yeah yeah finally gets out <laughs> by yeah yeah and one thing like the, i really like amy adams as lois lane too because i found her still strong and independent, but not in the same way that Margot Kidder's Lois Lane is. Mm -hmm. And like, I love Margot Kidder a lot as Lois Lane. She's like my definitive Lois Lane, but like 
I felt like this wasn't retreading that. And it no, was... no, no one was retreading yeah. any of the characters. And that, that's, I find that really, really interesting. Yeah, I, where, especially like... that she knew Superman before she knew Clark kind of a thing. Like, I like, yeah, yeah, she I knew like that Superman twist. before Clark, and she's not, like, quirky and funny. She's, like, really serious, gotta do my job, mm-hmm. like, really. She's much more of, like, a hard-hitting journalist. And, like, I think that, like, all the actors in this movie do a really good job. And it's one of those things that, like, that's why I get mad at it. Because, like... I could take almost the same movie and just make it a million times better with just a couple tweaks. Just get a better script. <laughs> like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And uh, by the way, that's the best joke in the whole film. Like the only joke that really worked for me. The one where uh, Superman shows up as Clark Kent saying, I'm Clark Kent. And she's just like, yeah, I'm sure you are. Like, like, <laughs> no, yeah, she says, welcome actually... to the planet. And it's like, oh, it's cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get it? Because he's an alien? <laughs> no, but it's like, it's like such a... No, wait, like, no, explain to me. I'm sorry. What was it? <laughs> he's an alien and now he's no, being No, but the place is called the Daily Planet. Oh, that's why she said, yeah, that. that's why okay. she says welcome to the planet, because it's that, yeah. Also, why cast Lawrence Fishburne and have him do fucking nothing? Yeah. <laughs> no, he, seems, don't get me he started on that the girl's fucking... hand while the building's on her. That's Jenny Olsen, yeah. according okay. to the credits. I don't know what the fuck Zack Snyder has against Jimmy Olsen. Like, for some reason, in this one, he has Jenny Olsen instead of Jimmy. Then he has Jimmy Olsen in Bam V Superman and gets his head blown off in the first five minutes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why he hates him so much. Because he hates like, Superman. And by extension, I mean, yeah. you're going to hate his biggest fanboy. Yeah, he's... <laughs> Okay. Are we done with this shit finally? So, uh, Daryl, rate this movie on a scale from one to ten. Uh, an S symbol that stands for hope. Fuck. <laughs> so is that like a five? <laughs> it looks like a five. It's an S. I don't know. I don't like ratings. I'm just, I'm just planning it's a five, Daryl. Okay. Uh, I think Sly's convinced me though that Batman v Superman is more enjoyable. <laughs> no. No. It's at least a. I think it does what it's trying to do. It's trying to be de- make it fucking depressed. I have also only seen it once, though, so take that. Yeah, leave messages <laughs> if you want us to watch Batman v Superman and then yeah. argue about it. I also um, love Junkie XL's score. Like the fact, I, I will take Batman v Superman to just have Junkie XL's score come into mm. existence. Like, I, like I'll do anything just for that. Okay. So anyway, thank you as always for being a backer for us. And uh, yeah, let us know what you want to hear. What other episodes? It's not like Phil's not going to be here. We just thought this was going to be more of a debate between Daryl and I. Yeah, and then it's not just me all shitting on. Also, that. Phil, when it, when it comes to bad movies, like he will just quit <laughs> rather than watch a bad movie for some yeah, reason. Yeah, I thought we were going to lose him after Suicide Squad. Yeah. I thought we were going to commit suicide after Suicide Squad. Uh, oh wait, that's okay. my favorite DC film. That's right. <laughs> oh god. Oh, that... is that better than Superman to you? I mean, not as a film, but like I enjoy it the most so good okay okay i've had enough shout out to john murray if you're a backer (laughs) if you are if not fuck you yeah (laughs) and you can't hear it because yeah because you're not a backer somebody tell john to fuck off (laughs) okay so thank you guys for everything i'm sly i'm ryan and i'm daryl stay in continuity okay and stay stay a patron subscriber (laughs) please please Hello and welcome to the bonus episode for Divisive Issues. Hooray! Unfortunately, we're not going to talk about like a random Goofy's sixties comic. Yeah, unfortunately, this time. Yeah, where's Jimmy Olsen? God damn! (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag bring Jimmy Olsen back. (laughs) Hashtag free Jimmy Olsen, my boy. My boy, as they say, my boy. Uh, This time we're uh, as, as Sly was alluding to. 
we're going to be talking about superheroes, which is like a, such a different thing than we usually talk about. But we're going to be talking more broadly because <laughs> Ryan and I were, at least before like the uh, podcast one of the days, we were talking we were about... Lovers. <clears throat> Yeah, we were <laughs> discussing. <laughs> God damn it! Our future together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he said, "You're such a superhero to me." <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Ryan's like, "That's good because superheroes should be positive things." And I'm like, "Oh, I don't know about this. I like dark things, like like how we read um, Identity Crisis." And I was like, "I or like nemesis. this take on superheroes." Or Nemesis. <laughs> I was like, "I like this take on superheroes." And Ryan's like, "No, I don't." <laughs> That's why you broke yes. up. That's why we broke up. Yeah. Cynicism is my kryptonite. <laughs> and optimism is my Viagra. And and one of the things I, I feel like there's the kind of like a divide between like the again, like the, the casuals of me and Phil and the the pro comic readers of Sly and Ryan about what we like about comics that's not just like due to our time spent with comics, but due to what we actually want from comics, which leads to mm-hmm. probably our time due to comics. Which is, I look for more, like, realistic portrayals of stuff. Like, I, Superman's one of my least favorite, like, characters. I like him as a symbol now from staying on divisive issues long enough that I'm like, okay, I understand why he's necessary in the world. But he still resembles too much of a Boy Scout to me. Whereas I'm I'm more of, like, a a Batman kind of guy. Where I'm like, I like this guy that's messed up and can't let go of past trauma and keeps fighting people that should probably be in a hospital. So, the one thing I want to say is... I don't think that those, like, the darker characters shouldn't exist. I think both of them are stronger together than separate. Okay. I feel like Batman works better in a world where Superman exists, and Superman works better in a world where Batman exists. I really don't. I really feel like, maybe in some cases that I can agree with you, but I feel like a lot of times, tonally, it gets really weird when you have these, like, more gritty, realistic portrayal of superheroes, and then the the less real like the more idealistic version like i i can't reconcile in my head how these two could exist in the same world phil your microphone's rumbling is it yeah all right let me put it on some clothes (laughs) (laughs) put some clothes on it downstairs fucking old man is listening to tv and i'm saying fucking old man because every morning at six he's just cursing at the top of his lungs he's just like (laughs) fucking shit fuck fuck so i fuck him (laughs) <laughs> I don't know why, what he's so angry about. The thing is, I think it depends on the scope of the story, because, like, I know we have actually had this specific disagreement before, but, like, something like Daredevil, I feel like, still works in the Avengers universe because he focuses on a different tier of stories. Like, he's talking about, like, real estate fraud, and he's, like, super gritty in the streets, whereas, like, Iron Man isn't fighting you know, like, gangs, he's fighting, like, big space aliens and stuff, and I feel like you can have those facets, because the real world has things like that, where you have, like, these big macro problems that we talk, you know, we talk about it on, on Oops all the time, is, like, how do we fight poverty, but at the same time, like, you still have to, like, stop people from mugging people. Phil, is your problem less about the um, pairing optimistic with cynical, or is it more pairing street level with cosmic Marvel heroes? type Hmm. of deal Uh, for me i I have like the dual issue there because the street level with cosmic i have trouble reconciling sometimes because i'm like in a world where superman exists how can like what can captain america do to thanos when uh thor failed type of deal? yeah or or like why would someone even be like you know i'm gonna go uh steal some cars in metropolis like you'd have to be 
the biggest dumbass in the world <laughs> to do that. Superman's only one man, though. Like, it is very. He believable. goes at the speed of light. I mean. <laughs> yeah, but like, he also has a day job. That's like that's why he is Clark Kent, so he doesn't be Superman every minute of the day. Like, um, but that's that's actually something I'm like. It's kind of weird to me too. Like when I see him on like when we read that last comic, whatever it was, and he's like on the farm. I know he has to spend family time, but it's like it's it's tough because it's like if you are Superman and you're just hanging out a lot of the time, you're letting villains yeah so that's one of the things that's that's definitely tough to reconcile and i've talked about it a lot and it's it's one of those things that like we've talked about it on oops again i'm gonna keep comparing this to politics because it's the only way to do it yeah. but like we talk about how you have to take care of yourself yeah, and do yeah, self-care and like we've said like yeah we should technically in this world filled with villains that we currently occupy we uh-huh. should be campaigning every day and every minute that we're not at work for you know for uh liberal policies and all sorts of stuff that i feel like the asterisk to that though is that someone like superman has like such an enormous amount of sway and power like i would argue that again politicians with a lot of money should be doing more to look into what they can do to stop things than someone that like has like a medium level of income that basically you just yeah. shop differently. It's like, that's pretty good. He, d- he does spend most of his free time s- stopping crime while... Well, that's the thing, yeah. He spends a lot more time doing good than we do. <laughs> like, yeah, like, Spider-Man yeah, yeah. S- stops, like, one mugger a night while Superman stops, like, 500. Like, it is already disproportionate. <laughs> it's just one of those things, yeah. If, if Superman's flying around stopping 500 muggers a night, it's like, <laughs> who is mugging? Why would you mug? <laughs> Which, yeah, it speaks back to Phil's point. It's like, why would you ever rob how, a no, Metropolis? More like, how can there be criminals left? I mean... Well, that's why, that's why Metropolis... That's why Metropolis is... Uh, so much cleaner than Gotham. And so you get villains like the prankster who just like, he just like pranks people. Like he's not like, he's yeah. not like this big villain killing people. Cause like, he's like super scared to just stop you. So why not just like be like lighthearted, I guess. And I understand the concept you guys have brought up before that. Like maybe in this world, cause I'm always like, why would villains pop, keep popping up? But like maybe mm-hmm. the presence of superheroes, like incites these sociopaths to be like, oh, I'm going to be a villain who can challenge them. So like, mm-hmm. maybe that can explain the rise of some villains. And I get it on like, for the weird ones, like Batman's villains, like they're all kind of psychopaths. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of get those guys. But it's like, why would you be like, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to relate you know. more to them. Then. Well, <laughs> uh, one thing I always find interesting in some Superman stories, like in, there's a gangs like intergang and groups like that. And like Toy Man, Ryan mentioned Toy Man, but like, uh, oh, Man, I mentioned Prankster, but we oh, can also sorry. talk about Toy I'm talking about Toy Man. Uh, in Toy Man, the anime series like uses like giant mechs and stuff. Like they were more like the megalomaniacal, like larger than life villains. Like they had mm. the technology to fight Superman. Uh, so like uh, if you if you get like a gang that like like any any criminal uh, organization, the higher the stakes, the higher the payoff. So if you, if you're like intergang and you have all these weapons that can take blow blow up uh, tanks and stuff, and you're able to just dominate Gotham, but if you go Metropolis, since Metropolis is so secure usually, and you can and Superman like uh, you can take on Superman, why wouldn't you just to get extra like an insane amount of profit? Because that's what, what gangs usually do. The amount of profit determines how, how the amount of risk taking mm. uh, is involved. Yeah, but it's Superman. But if you if you <laughs> if you have taken out like fucking like Green Lantern and stuff like that, and you have, would you not want to at least test your metal against a fucking have, have they taken out Green Lantern though? Yeah, I'm just, Green has been taken out by fucking like uh, all these people are planes. still alive. <laughs> so, Green has been taken by people anyways, first of all, but second of all, uh, like uh, there are there are, are like uh, heavy uh, mech uh, villains that have taken on Lord villains and and then uh, meet Superman. That, that's, okay, that's, let me let me let me rephrase my problem here a little because. I, I understand Superman's one man and, and a lot of big super like the, the, the higher 
I don't know how you've ranked them, but like the the Avengers tier, like the, the Superman mm-hmm. tier of superheroes, they can't be everywhere at once, right? But it's yeah. more like when one of the things that irked me a lot, I, I talked to all of you about this, I think, when I was watching uh, season one of Daredevil, which I loved, is so uh, this underground crime scene, yeah, I get why they're not trying to root out fucking gangsters that are, you know, doing shady dealings in back alleys. Like, like Superman doesn't have time for that. But when there's like a a gunfight on a bridge in Manhattan, right? These are the kind of things that in real life don't actually happen like ever. Like, these are mm-hmm. such big events that if if someone starts shooting in the middle of the street, like you have SWAT teams on their ass in like five minutes. And and this is even bigger than that because they're like blowing up cars on a bridge. So you're talking like, yeah, when it's like the, how the would they George get, Washington How would they have gotten there in yeah. time? That's why I never got anybody. Some of these guys are, are speedsters though. It's weird that they couldn't just be there. Like, there's the speed one, of light is so fast. He's in the Marvel Universe and he's dead. Quicksilver. <laughs> no, you're wrong, Phil. Okay. No, but like, but like Iron Man goes fast. Uh, the Avengers were, according to movies from my member, they were in like fucking Cambodia fighting terrorists. So like, uh, if you think about the world stage, like every, think about every single country in the world. How many countries there are? How many uh, wide-scale threats there are? So I think it's insane that the Avengers will be in New York City at that time. Like, there are so many wide, wide-scale threats in so many countries at the moment. We don't even know about that because... Uh, we only care about America most of the time. We focus on American policy because that's what we are. But like the amount of corruption going on, like Russia in the Middle East, and like all these countries, and you're, and you're gonna, and, and like when the world of supervillains, you're gonna question, oh, New York City, the Avengers didn't get there within this an hour time span. I, I never. Uh, For me, it's because it's New York, like, and every hero lives in New York. Like, well, in the, in the comics, make comics they do, but not in the movies. Uh, okay. Yeah, all because right. it, uh, and it's also like I feel like it's harder to justify that in the movies. Because there's so much time implied between movies. But in the comics, when you have, like, when you have Avengers books and Justice League books and all these things happening at the same time, it's like, okay, so this Justice League arc, they're in space for, you know, six months. Then, you know, this Daredevil story happens while they're in space. You know, like, and there's very frequently the comics will do this where they'll have the, like, editor note or, like, like... Daredevil will call the Fantastic Four, and they'll be like, oh, they're in another dimension. I like that. Like, oh, I do shit. like when they do that. Because yeah. it's, it's like, hey, we're just telling you know, they couldn't come save the day because they're all fighting God or whatever. Yeah, and I feel like that there's... The movies, it's harder because they're like, oh, it's been five years since Avengers 1, and then, like, they don't reference things that happen in between as much. But, like, I take it the same way as I did, that, like, especially when the theme of the Marvel movies is heroes, like, getting involved in countries they're not supposed to be, I can kind of take it as they're not there. It's not that they're ignoring it, it's that they're doing something else. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> this became a conversation by the way this became a conversation about the realism of a shared universe versus no, but... uh, original concept of a cynical versus uh, a heroic uh, heroes. Well, I mean that is Phil's what he wants out of superheroes is he wants yeah. more realistic portrayals of this stuff or see again the problem for me that the tonal thing is like or just go in the other direction and be completely unrealistic and like you know it's one of those things like when you're watching or reading Dragon Ball Z, you're not like, uh, how does a Kamehameha actually generate that much energy? Because they don't try for realism. They're just like, they, they just go nuts. They're just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of tonal disparity is going to be prevalent in any shared universe. Yeah. I feel like you yes. have to buy into some level of suspension of disbelief. Which I think is the, the hard thing for a lot of non-comic fans to buy into mm-hmm. when they look at this. It's like, how can Batman join the Justice League when his power is so far below all these other people? Well, that's why most of the time the most of the time the Justice League books that work the best are when their powers and roles are defined more, like, well, where, like, Batman is the general not actually fighting but calling shots from the headquarters. Or, yeah, or he's That makes in. more sense. Yeah, that is You cool. know, and, and 
the one thing I just want to say before we put a cap on like the Superman, why doesn't he just solve all the crimes thing Mm -hmm. is one of the arguments that I find the most interesting about Superman is the debate on when is it proper for him to do something and when is it not? So some of my favorite Superman writers have asked the questions of like, why doesn't he just fix everything? And he usually says like, well, that's not my job. I'm not a preemptive. Like he's not like part of the Bush doctrine where he's going to go stop crimes before they happen where when he sees something happening he saves people but he doesn't necessarily go overthrow a dictator or like like and the best superman books will ask those questions of when is where is that line for him where he because he doesn't want to be a god Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to rule everybody so like when is it appropriate for him to push his morals on people and when is it not? And, like, those questions are asked frequently. And, like, that's why I think a book like Red Sun, the reason why it resonates with some people, which, if, you, if you're not familiar, it's a book where Superman lands in Russia and becomes, like, the communist leader and takes over the whole, co- the whole world. That is, like, if he had different morals, whatever he thought was right to impose on people... That is a question that is is asked frequently that I feel like a lot of casual fans that don't like Superman don't know that those questions are asked. Because, mm-hmm. like, they'll ask that question to fans, like, well, why doesn't Superman do this? And it's like, well, I can give you a dozen books where it explains why he doesn't do that. And I can appreciate that. With someone that's so powerful, it's for me, it's usually not interesting to watch him just fight mechs. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's way more interesting to talk about what it means to have that kind of power and responsibility and everything. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's why there's a lot more good Batman books than a lot more good Superman books, mm-hmm. where I have shelves and shelves of Batman books that I bet both of you guys would find very interesting and fun yeah. and and, yeah. int- and good to read. Yeah, but I've Superman's, read some of them. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and Superman's a lot harder to write because a lot of his books are just filler. He just keeps punching big mechs. Yeah, his weakness is kryptonite. So anytime someone pulls out, they're not outsmarting Superman. They just have the resource that he's weak to. For the record, I would argue that his real weakness is his humanity. <laughs> but oh my god, I <laughs> no, hate because, Superman no, but, again. <laughs> no, but that's the but that's the question. Is like like there's there's a Batman Superman fight that like one of the Batman Superman fights that I like where Batman just puts a bunch of innocent people in danger and Superman has to leave to go fight him so Batman can escape. Like I find that to be like a more interesting analysis of how do you beat Superman than I get a kryptonite ring and punch him real hard. Yeah, you know? I feel like all all superheroes are weak to that, though, where it's like you have to either let me escape or save these people. It's like every hero other than, like, Green Arrow and Punisher would let this. That's, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. But so the one thing I want to bring up in that regard is when we talk about, like, why do superheroes exist or what do they represent, like, that kind of thing, I think it's important to go to the... the origins of the like optimistic heroes that we usually talk about and specifically Superman and Captain America, because both Superman and Captain America were created by Jewish people in that lived in New York city in the Mm thirties, like at the, you know, during world war two. And I think that when you think about what these characters represent, like Superman was this like mild mannered, like nerd guy that girls didn't like secretly though. He would like, when you look at action comics, number one, he's fighting corrupt politicians. He's fighting wife beaters. He's fighting like gangs and street level gangs. And he wasn't like juggling planets yet. And Captain America, their first issue, he punches Hitler in the face. So like, I feel like why, when we look at superheroes, what created superheroes? I think it was that need for that optimistic escapism of like, if there was absolute power in this world, what if it didn't corrupt absolutely? And when you look at that coming out of like Hitler, 
that's very that's a very engaging argument for me why optimism is really important. But it's, when we have when we have someone taking trying to take over the world, and then Jewish writers are like, "What if there was a good guy though that stopped him? What if, what if humans weren't humans though? That's what always it's like. What if someone had absolute power and just didn't get corrupted? That to me that's like such an unrealistic premise. But I feel fiction is actually unrealistic. We have realistic story characters who just get hit by rocks and, and just die because <laughs> or live or live really boring lives. Yeah, yeah. Real life is chaotic. It is random it does not have themes in it it does not have uh yeah. like uh things coming to a head it will be a series of events a person dies and there'll be the end of it no, uh, f- no fiction naturally has to like even like game of thrones you people point to oh that's a very uh very realistic, realistic setting it uh it has purpose behind characters deaths mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't happen in real life uh Tyrion would just get hit, killed during the war by a random arrow shot in the back of the head and it'll be and you'll be this is a shit story because it will be a shit story if the fiction was completely realistic fiction always has to have some element of yeah to it. yeah but I would argue that real life does have narratives. It, that they're it not as mapped. There's not as mapped the way you know. Like the book and, does. And, and, there, there'll be. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll always take the stuff that that crafts that larger narrative and ignore the stuff that does. We'll, we'll That's take... fair. That's very mm-hmm. fair. Yeah, but my point wasn't it should be hyper realistic. It's that the idea of of someone like a bunch of people getting superpowers and being like, I'm just gonna be a good guy not use yeah it my for point wrong. is that it will be it will be uh for a lot of people including me it's inherently unsatisfying if it's not unrealistic to some level and that's true to even for, for, for all fiction and for us i think but you you would have that realism of that um i mean the unrealistic of these people have powers it's just that phil would like the more realistic aspect of these people abusing their powers I think. yes but so I, you're telling me like in a world the boys where is there's the best <laughs> you're telling me where let's say there's a world like the comic book world where powers are given seemingly at random to plethoras of people mm-hmm. you're gonna tell me that some of those people aren't gonna use them for good no they would they totally would i think i think actually most people would uh to be honest i, I know i'm like it's gotta be dark and cynical but i think really most people don't go around committing crimes because they don't want to but it's I, I was just responding to the comment of like what if human like absolute power didn't corrupt absolutely to me i'm like i think it would naturally like as superman's time went on he would try probably to be good and as time went on and on and on he would eventually get fed up with the world still being shit and but do you think there's value in asking the question what if he didn't though what if he didn't he didn't i mean nothing changes because the world's still just as shitty it's not just as shitty. There is stuff that he's preventing it from being bad. It's just the fact that like he keeps having to save everything that makes It's like it weird feel. though because like these things all these like world-ending crises keep happening after superheroes exist. So it's like, yeah, so he saved the world a bunch of times, but like so if he had just, you know, like not that actually raises a really interesting question that you're going to have to deal with just a couple seconds of dumb comic book setup for me to get to this line that I think is really important, <laughs> where there is the, the 30s Superman shows up in like modern times and he's like, this world's cynical. This is bullshit. This is an infinite crisis. And he's like, my world was so much better where we were like innocent and we just like, you know, we fought gangsters. We didn't have to worry about the world being destroyed. My world was perfect. And the modern Superman says, if your world was perfect, why did it need a Superman? And I feel like that's a really valid question where, like, yes, if there were people with Superman's powers and they were doing good, why is there still evil? But, like, that's also, like, the nature of story. It can't just end. Yeah. It has to have an antagonist. It has to have an antagonist. But the thing... Now, this might be very dramatic, and you guys are definitely going to roll your eyes at me, but... I'm already doing it. (laughs) I think superheroes are very important for us as a society because I feel like in pre-modern times, we got these moral 
ideals and idols to look up to from other places like religion where like they would tell stories to kids and they would be like oh i'm gonna be a good samaritan etc etc yeah or myths or through myths or exactly and i feel like superheroes in the modern mythology where when you're a kid you know i I don't want to speak for everybody but i wasn't like yeah let's go jesus i was like let's go spider-man maybe that's why i'm an asshole because i looked up to death's head too (laughs) (laughs) that's a fair point that role models do actually affect kids a lot (laughs) and i feel like the the role model of the superhero like you have superman who's like whatever power you're given you should always do your best to help people and spider-man is like no matter how much the world shits all over you should always try to better yourself and try to like overcome whatever hardships you're going through and i feel like to me that's important to kids to learn especially when the world around us is so fucking shitty i i agree I, if it, i'm sorry if it comes across i'm like i'm not arguing superheroes shouldn't exist yeah. <laughs> like i i like superheroes a lot i'm just complaining about some things that, I, that bother me in yeah. some stories like I, yeah I, sometimes as a story uh i can't get around some of these things but i i agree they serve a good purpose i think i do like kids looking at superheroes as role models as, as opposed to a lot of the other things they could. Do you like the superhero role model aspect, Sly? I, I do. I do like it. I I think it's escapism is a point part of fiction for me. Mm-hmm. I think the story has to, has to be enjoyed on some level, and then uh, there are all, all, all ter- uh, exceptions, of course. Like some stories you like just because it's a nuanced portrayal of the human psyche or whatever. But I think the, the, the stories that people really gravitate to, like Star Wars and stuff like that, are the thrilling adventure stories that uh, kind of make you uh, escape from the cynical real world uh, and kind of enjoy this uh, fancy uh, reality. And uh, usually you need a hero in order to um, get you invested in that world, a person you can root for. Mm-hmm. And that, that hero, um, uh, he has to be likable. He has to be uh, someone that you can root for. And uh, the world can be dark around him, but the hero should uh, generally uh, be someone that is heroic. Uh, he should be Robin Hood. He should be Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I, I agree a lot with that. And I like when they're flawed. Like That's why I always like X-Men a lot. Yeah. But like their flaws shouldn't be like I don't want to do good things. It's just like yes. I'm I have a character flaw in some other way, but I'm exactly. trying. They're they're trying to do the right thing. Uh, they're they're a human being, but and they're not going to get everything perfect. But uh, they're not just going to be assholes who are neutral and everything. We don't care. It's not. They're not like Han- the main character of Star Wars is Luke Skywalker, not Han Solo. And Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. eventually wins over Han Solo because that's the nature of the story. Uh, he makes Han Solo believe and fight for a cause. Because in real life, if everyone was like Han Solo and more uh, uh, cynical approach to the protagonist was used, then stories would uh, not like not be a lot more cynical. satisfyingly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Luke would just leave on the Millennium Falcon and let <laughs> And yeah. and going back to the the realism thing, like again, I, I wasn't trying to argue that like it needs to be like everyone needs to be like a, a sociopath. Like that's how you end up in Mark Millar world where yes. like everyone who gets powers is just like I don't give a shit about other human beings. And I think I think most people who got powers would be like Everyone wants to kind of be a hero if you could, if you like, if you feel like you are able to, you know. I, or not everyone, but most people. Yeah, I think that's why we had a disagreement between League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Identity Crisis because Identity Crisis, they all felt like they're trying to do the right thing. It's just that uh, they're doing questionable things because mm. uh, they felt they needed to. Mm. While League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you literally had two uh, rapist villains on team, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. like me, me and Ryan Fellows too much. Like these characters are, uh, uh, we can't even root for them. Like they're at, like fuck them, fuck these characters. That gets to the larger point that I like cynical characters and i like cynical stories mm-hmm. i don't like cynical worlds and i think I'm the that's opposite. the big I, difference I like for me cynical. i like the world to be cynical i like the heroes to be hero- heroic 
and and over. Mm. I guess I guess I don't necessarily mean wor- worlds isn't the right like the tone. themes or I tone. Guess, yeah. Names, tones. I guess it's more like I don't like the conclusions. It's tough because every time I talk about cynicism versus optimism, everyone's like, "But you, but your favorite book series is a Song of Ice yeah. and Fire," and like everybody gets dumped on all yeah. the time. And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to explain." I that guess, that I is a really I'm cynical world. <laughs> I, I would say like the uh, the conclusion can't be pure cynicism, like something like Working for a Dream, where everyone just leaves horrible lives and everyone dies, and that's it. That's that's your life. I guess it's more like the the hero's journey. The question is like, how do you win? And I like when people win by trying to be better. Where in a lot of stories, like Leo Rickstar and a Gentleman, I felt like a lot of, t- or like in a lot of Mark Millar books, more so, like Wanted. I feel like people win by being worse. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. And, 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 I, I like those too. To, to go back to Song of Ice and Fire for a sec, like it, it's a it's a cynical world in the sense that. Bad things happen, but the the average people you see in that world are still like regular humans that want to just provide for their family and do okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just that they allow this stuff to happen is what I and and no, it's people in power abusing their power like people in power always do. That's like a realistic thing that when you have power, you're like, I want more. Yeah, and I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna leverage what I have. And that's why I think a character like Superman or a character like Captain America are worth looking up to and worth analyzing and talking about because like. We don't have real life, like, when people come in power and they're not flawed seriously in some way. Like, yeah, we look up to Obama, but he has his, you know, his big stains that we Mm -hmm. talk about. Like, you certainly can't look up Mm -hmm. to Trump. You know, like, things like that where, like, if I had a kid and I was like, I want to have the kid look up to someone who's better than me because I'm a piece of shit. (laughs) Who do I give him? Do I give him the president? No. Do I give him, you know, like, actors and, you know, Hollywood people? No. Like every, especially now, I feel like everyone is so flawed and shitty that more important than ever, I want to have someone be like, be, try to be like this person, do what they would do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sure. Like, I I understand like the argument for the role models. I hadn't thought about that mainly because I'm not sitting there being like, I wonder what a good role model for kids would be. Instead, I'm, I, I sit there and be like, what stories do I gravitate to? And what like characters do Mm -hmm. I like? And I like stories in which trying isn't good enough that tries to like relay the reality of the situation which is why i always like a reality and very like dour you could say like cynical stories that kind of like dump on the main character and stuff is because sometimes no matter how much you're trying you still don't succeed as much as you want to or you still don't get your dream type of a deal. I guess that's I guess that's fair. Whereas like because uh, me- I feel like when I keep getting told over and over again like these kinds of stories, it's like when I was watching kids movies, it's like everything would end happily, and I'm like, but life isn't like. I feel like as someone that went through a period of disillusionment in high school where I'm like, I'm not getting what I want. I don't know what's wrong. It's because I had built my life up incorrectly as a kid to believe that the main character of the story, which would be me and my life, gets what they want at the end. And I did not realize that's not true, that you don't just get to like stumble into fame. That's so funny to me because, like, for me, it's almost the exact same, but at the same time, it's the complete opposite. Because <laughs> I went through this horribly cynical period of yeah. disillusionment in high school, and then I fell into superhero comics in college because I was like, "What am I fighting for? What am I trying?" But to I feel do? like that stuff is to is to blame for my perspective being so off. Is that I assume? Because I remember, like, I got into. I got into Superman because my ex-girlfriend, who had just destroyed my heart in every way, bought me the death of Superman. (laughs) And then I was like, maybe I can be better. Maybe I can strive Mm. to better myself instead of, like, blaming the world. How'd that work? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, like, I think I'm okay. It's funny because I'm like, I kind of agree with both of you where I'm like, 
I also like worlds where it's like it has that realistic tinge where it's like you know things don't just work out just because you want it to. But at the same <laughs> time, I'm like I love shonen anime where I'm like if you try hard enough, you can do anything. Like I I I have extra. Well, re- part of it is with with shonen. I feel like the more unrealistic it gets, the more you're able to buy yourself into it because you're like whatever. This is just like it's yeah, sort of like it's with, a fantasy. Yeah, it's just like it's an actual fantasy rather than someone sitting down being like, no, let's actually try and work out the real logistics. Like you couldn't yeah. have like all these things. I, it's funny. I'm like so hyped up on superheroes just because I've been watching My Hero Academia, and it's it's like I know I'm a weeb, <laughs> it's but so it's like good. it's a perfect blend of like it's superheroes but anime, and I'm yeah. like. But it's that's why like my hero academia is such a perfect convergence point for like my love of superhero and my burgeoning like love yeah. of manga and mm-hmm. anime where I'm like this is what I'm trying yeah, to I, say. Yeah, I, I watched that and I'm like, oh, superheroes are awesome. Like, <laughs> I, I do, I do kind of half agree with uh, Daryl and uh, R.I. too because we're all milk toast uh, moderates on the <laughs> no, show. because both both stories can be compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Both are valid and important, and, like, I would be lying if I said that sometimes to get through whatever bullshit I was doing, I didn't need the cynical, mm. like, yeah, fuck yeah. this, you yeah. know? Like, both are important to my, get. My, my, my favorite kind of story is, one of the reasons why I'm not a, I'm a bigger fan of, like, horror and, and I, I rarely watch kids' movies is because kids' movies is guaranteed the heroes are going to win, while, like, horror is very, like, they, horror movies are the only ones that are willing to go for the dour, sad ending. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, uh, mm. what I like is uh, the uh, the threat and the the real uh, real uh, realistic possibility that things will end up on a sad note. Uh, I like the story going that direction yep. and things overcoming uh, in the end. That's uh, you have to make the stakes feel real. You have to make the threat feel real. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to like uh, that's when I really get most of the story. And uh, and and if you do well enough, I will accept the dour ending. But if you uh, if you have like a happy ending after setting it up uh, with such uh, cynicism, that's where I it really hits home for me the optimism. Yeah, mm. I think that's that's very fair. for me. It has to like feel like it earns that. Like if you're gonna have like a sad story the whole time and then you want to Deus Ex Machina it into like a happy ending. I, I, like, say, that I mean when I say Deus Ex Machina, I mean like the characters are, are usually the stories I like are like. Where the characters are all dying off, and like the ones like uh, Sunshine is a good example because that's a movie where everyone's dying off, and they're all trying to complete this one goal. And uh, I'm not gonna spoil it, but it's a, you 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 have your nails, uh, you're on the edge of your seat, wondering if like one person will survive long enough to complete their one goal. And that's and the kind of it's kind of like uh, that that uh, final, maybe sometimes bitter victory after uh, lots of struggle and sacrifice that I really uh, th- it, that rings true to me while still having a tinge of hope. Quote unquote happy ending. Well, that's like, why. Not like happy, like they live yeah. happily ever after. It's like there could be potentially some good in the future. And yeah. <laughs> well, that's why, like, I thought Superman was a boring Boy Scout until I watched him get beat to death. Because I was like, oh, this has stakes. Like, he doesn't just always win. And that's one of the things that, like, I, I do totally agree that in a lot of stories, like Superman stories, they're boring because you know he's mm-hmm. just going to win. Like him versus some villains, it's just like a one-sided affair. Or him dying and then coming back as a clone. <laughs> yeah, but it's still, it was still like, it was yeah, still I, engaging I and I, interesting. More so than just like, he's going to punch a big robot and then the big robot's yeah, going to lose. This is a good example because it does set it up, well, Doomsday's threat well enough. It goes through the motions of him beating up the Justice League and blowing up Boy's Town. Superman's fighting him. He's not slowing him down. Like, it, um, in the end, uh, you could have just been like, oh, just Superman's going to come back or whatever. But, and they did that eventually. Yeah. But the story itself was structured in a way that I felt believable that Superman could die yeah. in that story. Yeah, the story itself earned the momentous occasion of Superman's death. Sure. It's, yeah. it's always just hard regarding like comics. And again, because superheroes come out of comics, 
that the serialized nature demands that they have to return yes to, to be and, like this is impactful in a very meaningful way and, and that's the, one of the problem of my, my problems with monocomics is monocomics i feel it's been so um done to death that I, I i feel like no death really matters and i'm just waiting mm-hmm. for him to come back yeah uh there was like a period in the 80s and 90s where uh characters were at least go away for at least a decade maybe but now once the yeah. movie's coming out you can, you can when a character dies you can just wait for the movies come out and then that character will be back for that movie yeah yeah i think that's very very fair okay well, that's our thoughts on the necessity of superheroes being yeah. good or bad, which was kind of a little jumbled. I liked yeah. it a lot. Superheroes I'm inspired cool. to go die. No, we touched don't, be, don't be cynical. You should have. <laughs> uh, you want kids to look up to you? I'm not telling anyone to look up to you, fucker. Let us know in like, the Discord whether or not you like more the optimistic stories or the cynical ones or cynical heroes in optimistic stories or optimistic heroes in cynical stories. Oh, one, one last comment. Yeah. You know what I think eventually made me want the realism in superheroes for so long is, yeah. again, X-Men would always go through to blanks to describe how their, their mutant powers work. And I really mm. enjoyed that. And then when I saw the superheroes, like, nah, it's just like magic or something. I was like, oh, but I, <laughs> I thought it was cool that mutants have like specialized skills. Yeah, they're ev- they evolved a certain way. It's cool. Yeah, I think it's unfair to judge other superheroes versus the X Men because, like, the X Men are just the best franchise in mm. comics by like to me a very large margin. So it's very hard to compare anything to it because it's like, well, the X Men do it better. You could say to yeah, most. I, just, I fucking love X Men so. Thanks, Sly. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like, like people saying like Final Tactics and the other games. Like this, I wish this game did that better. And people say it's, it's, it sucks because I was spoiled by Final Tactics. Everything else was the worst. <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's life, I guess. Cool. We all get beat by Wygraph so, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and let us know if you like this discussion. Uh, if you want to see more discussions in the future, we'll probably have them sprinkled out at some point. But let us know if this is a thing. You yeah, want. let us know if you want it more like conceptual discussions or like the go back to the campy single silver stu- silver age stuff. Okay, I've been Sly. I've been Ryan. I've been Phil. And I've been Daryl. Stay, stay in continuity. Stay. Uh, Don't leave. <laughs> st- <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Divisive Issues. October Patreon extravaganza. Yes, October. <laughs> yeah, for October we're doing something especially spooky. Bleach. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Bleach. Oh, that's pretty spooky. It, it, does, it does have some ghost elements, so it's not completely inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is spooky. Some it's, it's some major ghost elements. Yeah. Evil. Yeah, evil spirits. Well, let's just specify. So we are doing the most recent live ver- adaptation, live action yeah. adaptation of Bleach. The one used Wi-Fi and Netflix right yep. now. 2018's Bleach. Yeah. Uh, so, why? Why? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I wanted to do this because it's like, I wanted to show you guys. This is, You should listen to our Bleach episode if you haven't, because we're going to just run through real quick what like the plot is. And then we're going to be talking both about like uh, how this is like as a Bleach movie and also just generally anime adaptations into live yeah. action adaptations it's just such a weird contrast so that's what i kind of want us to talk about here and if anyone's listening like after the like if it's not the first day this episode comes out this movie just covers basically the exact amount of plot we covered on the first yeah Bleach episode. like volume one or yeah whatever. so you arc, only you know listen yeah. to all of them because we're so great but like that one especially is was the one that lines up with this movie yeah like exactly yeah, like it, they they cut everything Daryl did. You must have watched this movie. <laughs> as as a refresher for uh, what happens, 
And what happens in this movie, it opens with Ichigo's mom dying of supernatural, like, causes. Like, it just shows her dead, and you're like, oh, I wonder what happened. Actually, that's, that's, that's actually an important difference, because yeah. uh, they don't show yeah. you how his I mom died in I, I manga. That. Yeah. That. Well, and that's one, uh, I'm going to defend <laughs> this movie. I know everyone else is like, fuck this, but uh, that's one thing I liked about this movie. Throws out everything good about it eventually, but I do like the opening of this movie, because it does have, like, a horror tone to well, it. Well, that's one thing also is, in a movie, it it makes more sense to have there be a more unifying like plot where it's like more yes. cohesive instead of like a mm-hmm. manga where it's like, this will keep going for a while. We could pick up these plot threads in 10 volumes. Mm-hmm. A movie really should like start and end with a similar kind of plot. Yeah. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one reason that's, uh, this movie has a lot, a lot of flaws. Uh, mm-hmm. but I do yes. think uh, the one, the one thing I find interesting about looking at these type of these adaptations, these live action film adaptations because I've seen a few of them at this point, because uh, they are, uh, mangas are in an episodic format, but um, when you make a movie, you can't just have it feel like it's going to be too be too much, like, oh, yeah. episode one, this is a pilot. Well, this movie, well, uh, it basically makes uh, him getting revenge for his mom being become the central focus of the film, which I think is a good mm. idea if you want to make a few more like a singular plot movie, movie yeah. story. Mm. Mm. Uh, I'll give my thoughts on that once we finish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The main character, Ichigo, and his family are attacked by a hollow like an evil spirit. And then the Soul Reaper, Rukia, that's our other main character, transfers her powers to Ichigo. Afterwards, Rukia joins Ichigo's clash. She trains him. And then we, like, shuffle things up and Renji, from the end of the first arc, uh, confronts Ichigo. Then we have our, like, where the, he saves the kid from the hollows. Renji, Renji being the Soul Eater Society member who's like, you gotta go back, Rukia. Yeah, he, he's the too cool tough punk dude with the visor he's got like the marks on his face and he's got the cool uh sword that turns into a whip yep zabimaru when it became more manga it uh it, it started working less as a film because it really looks like they're just in cosplay <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> absolutely i i actually was gonna say like sly i will defend i actually finishing it i was like this was pretty good i just <laughs> I, I i think it's always weird to turn anime into yeah. into, into movies I'm, like we'll talk about that like you said but as a, if you're going to turn Bleach into a live action movie, they did a pretty good job, I think. Like, uh, sure. I thought it was really boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, we can talk is. about the flaws. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about. Yeah. Let's finish yeah. the plot and then we'll talk about the flaws. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Byakuya, uh, Rukio's older brother, tells her it's like, hey, you got to take Ichigo's powers from him, which will kill him. Uh, by the next full moon and come back to Soul Society with us. And then she vows to kill Grand Fisher, which is the hollow that killed Ichigo's mom. She vows to kill a kill Grand Fisher because it's like this big bad, not mm-hmm. as like a personal vendetta for her Ichigo. Well, she doesn't know it's yeah. his, the one who kills his mom. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. She doesn't know. She's, She's like, like, you may have met it before, and he's like, oh yeah, I actually. Yeah. and also Grand yeah. Fisher is because uh, uh, because uh, Grand Fisher's hunting Ichigo specifically. His mom was just in the way, so yeah, so that's why Soul Society like even took an interest in Ichigo because he's the Grand Fisher's target, and they never explained why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Ichigo shows up during that scene. And he's like, "I'm gonna kill Grand Fisher," and then they have another training montage, or this is the actual training montage. And then Ichigo fights Grand Fisher and wins. Ichigo fights Renji and wins. Ichigo fights Byakuya and loses. So that means that Rukia is brought back to Soul Society, and she gets erased from everyone's mind, but traces of her remain. Most of this is like word for word from the manga. Like, yeah, that was like different. Scene for scene, shot for shot, and then there's a few different things. No, that I think that does happen in the manga after the chapters that I left you guys off. That she does get mm. erased, but people still remember. Which is where Orihime is like, "Oh yeah, you fought my brother, didn't you?" The, the, oh, the reason okay. why I, the reason why I question 
that is because I thought they did they, they twisted one part because when when she joins his class, in the in the manga she writes on her hand say make a scene you're dead, mm-hmm. in the movie she writes it on a book, yeah, and, and he that's how he remembers her because he sees that writing in the book. So uh, I don't know how he remembers in the book, but I thought that was clever that if they're going with the mind. I wife, did think that was clever. It that was to... clever, and I yeah. I don't remember how. I think he just like naturally still remembers <laughs> her and stuff. And that's the reason why I uh, uh, Smith, like I remember you came in saying Smith changes are so dumb and pointless. Mm-hmm. I I because like the like the manga is not like Shakespeare or anything. So like. Uh, uh, especially the early. What cha- do you mean? <laughs> Elaborate. Especially like the early chapters <laughs> when, where it was still was still feeling its growth. I like I like uh, Ichigo's dad, for example. Instead of like beating the shadow of his son and some beat the shadow of him, it's more like the rough house in the movie, which is more like how I would imagine a father and son to act. So like if it, it feels, he still puts him in a headlock as soon as he comes home. Yeah, but I've like, seen dads do that. I've seen dads do that. So <laughs> I, that's more believable than him kicking, punching him in the face as soon as he enters in. He should go punching him back. Like, and it makes yeah. sense for like what they're going with the tone in early manga, but that tone doesn't really carry through through later story arcs as much. Yeah. Mm. See, that's actually why I found this more boring. And you are right. I am wrong. (laughs) You are right about this. But when it comes to adapting manga, I was talking to my roommate about this, about how, like, why it doesn't always work in live action. And, like, part of it is because a lot of the jokes and tone are so over the top yeah. and ridiculous that that I find very fun. Yeah. Where like I know that there he's his dad's not literally kicking him in the chest until he, until he explodes on the wall across the room like yeah. it's stylized in a way that I find like charming where in a movie it's just like his dad's just like hitting him just kind of hard which is like weird. <laughs> I I think it's it's not even just the jokes. I think that's what all the entire whatever li- I see live action manga or anime like Everything the, the the fight scenes are so over the top in the in the drawings or in the anime a lot. Where in this it's like it, it looks weird when two guys in robes like one runs up someone else's sword. It doesn't look like in the anime or the manga. You can see like very over the top flying in the air kind of stuff. Yeah. And when you see real people doing it, it just looks wrong. And I don't think it. I don't know if it has to because you watch a movie like Kung Fu Hustle. That's basically like an anime in real life. Well, that's, that's 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 one thing we should mention is uh, this movie feels very low budget. It doesn't feel like mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Kung Fu Hustle budget. Um, like I was I was noticing like if you look at it compared to like a, a like a BBC or like a Netflix show for most like it, it feels like those shows for the most part except for like the, the action scenes with CGI these parts. But when it's just them in like an everyday setting, you could forget like what you're watching because it seems so tamely shot. Like the budget mm-hmm. isn't probably isn't that big for this movie. That, that, might, that might be part of it. Because I, I was, I literally was thinking about how, because when I was watching, I'm like, the over-the-top stuff just doesn't work in real life. And I, and then I literally went back to Kung Fu Hustle in my mind because I watched that recently again. And I was like, that that move, whole movie is just over-the-top constant and it works. Whereas this, it does. it's not like it falls flat. It just it feels weird. It doesn't feel like great. Mm-hmm. It feels weird yeah. for, particularly because, uh, like, if this is like there's no those the tones going for, it opens up with like a horror scene with yeah, Ichigo, his mom's dying, and she gets killed by like a little child ghost. Later on, the child ghost like we never mentioned the Grand Fisher's like a, a child creepy little girl ghost, uh, mm-hmm. and he turns into like a a big uh, bushweed. I don't know. What the it like is. it like lure it lures people in by being a little girl, and then when people yeah. go to help it, it, it's actually a monster. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's like a, uh, a bunch of vines come out of it and like grab people. Uh, I thought the, I thought the design was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like those scenes feel like a horror movie, but then you compare those to the scenes of them when they're fighting, and it's it's because like the opening scene, which is why I praise it so much, is because it feels like a movie scene, while later on it feels like a, a cosplay movie. So like, it feels it feels like it didn't know how to translate 
the manga uh and it was elements to, yeah basically yeah yeah well that's like it's funny i think you can really see our priorities because you guys are talking about like the action scenes and i'm like yeah but like these jokes are ruined <laughs> like stylistically in that same exact regard of like what tone are they going for when we talked about in the manga how when uh it's expositing about like the hollows and stuff the uh what's her name rukia yeah, Rukia is, like, doing these drawings, mm-hmm. and then uh, Ichigo is like, why are you doing these dumb, like, bunny drawings that are all cute? But in this, it's exposited in, like, a voiceover, and that's the visual. Yeah, it's, like, animated. And the animation is cool, though, uh, but... Uh, the animation yeah. is cool, but it's not, like, because she's not actually drawing it, and because, like, in live action, that kind of joke doesn't work as well as it does in on paper, yeah. mm-hmm. he doesn't, like, comment on it. And it's also not a consistent element because in the book she draws uh, consistently. Constantly, well, yeah. yeah. She just have one animation. Scene. And here it's just like this weird. She's expositing these things about like souls and evil demons and stuff, but it's it, like it's showing it with these like cute bunnies, and then it's just not anymore. And it's like what? Yeah, it, it's not like explained that that's her drawing to show. Yeah, because if I hadn't like... read the yeah, if I hadn't read the manga, I would have been like, what the hell is this? <laughs> And then, like, when the monsters show up, you're like, I thought they were little bunnies. That's always, yeah. that's always the weird thing in adaptations, um, especially ones that, that like, are, very, are mostly faithful. Uh, I was thinking about uh, Catch-20. Have you ever guys ever seen Catch-22, the movie? No. No. Yeah. Uh, uh, Phil saw it, so he's a fucking liar. Did I? Yeah, you just Did forgot. I? It's not that good. It's not that good, but... Um, that's probably why I forgot. It's not that you forgot. It's that you're fucking lying to us. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone knows that movie, like unless you read the book, you can. It's impossible to know what's happening. Yeah, and, and that's that's one of those weird, weird things we have in addition that's so close to the book, where it takes a, like you have to know the book to follow some stuff, but it's so mm-hmm. different that you, you can't appreciate it because it's different for no reason. Like it's just one of those weird things. Like, that's like precisely how I f- felt with this movie, where I'm like, yeah, I agree. It, I feel like you kind of need in order things. In order for things to flow properly, you need to have read the manga or be familiar with the characters from like the anime and stuff. But it's like it's different enough to kind of be annoying. Yeah. And like where Ryan was like the humor doesn't like translate that well, and Phil and Slayer like the action scenes don't translate that well. I'm just like, why include some things but not other things? Like, all right, first off, Chad's in this movie. Chad is not half Mexican; he's just Japanese now, and I, that really irks me. That happens in every single. The reason why that wouldn't bother me is because it happens in every single fucking uh, Japanese adaptation of an anime. In Death Note, they meet all the American characters, Japanese too. Like that's what they do. They get Japanese actors. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just it's it's still annoying. And Chad does nothing in this movie. It's like, why include him? Uh, he or, saves or... their lives when they throw that thing through, when the <laughs> throws that thing through the window. He's just he somehow blocks his piece of debris. And I'm like, wow, this guy's not human. The funny, <laughs> the funny thing is, the funny thing is about Chad because uh, like I would have defended the decision if if they if they had him just because like Chad becomes nothing in the book according to you. Yeah. Uh, so I I would I would uh, be fine of them making him just a flavor for uh, Ichigo's mm. social circle, but he's not even that flavorful. I feel like there's like a jokester character in the movie. I remember him much better than I remember Chad. So like even in terms yeah. of fl- filling out his cast, I don't remember Chad at all. Yeah. yeah, it just shows up and it's like, hey, you're from the manga or the show. That stuff like that doesn't bother me because it happens in uh, like American comic book movies constantly. Like every Ugh. Marvel movie has like a dozen people that are like, "Hey, you know this guy's name? Now he's dead." Or you know this guy's name and then he's not in the movie. You know, like it's just I don't know. I just like I just bake that into like that's what mm. adaptations do. I guess. Yeah. I don't like it, but like it didn't. It wasn't. Jarring. Yeah. So I, when I saw when I saw Into the Spider Verse and one reason why Into the Spider Verse like jumped to the top of my list of favorite. 
uh, superior movies like immediately is because uh, I, I I said it. It's like uh, all along we had the, like the, the imagine we if the Bleach animated movie came, the Bleach movie came first and the manga came later. That's what it felt like. You you feel like you got the weird movie adaptation first for all this time with all the other mm. Marvel films, and now you got something that's trying to capture the energy and color and vibrancy of the source material, which is Spider Verse, mm. and that's why. Mm. Uh, I feel Spider Verse uh, elevate, got elevated so high on my list because uh, we, we don't really have high budget at attempts at adapting superhero uh, stories like that. But uh, anime does like in that tone. Yeah, you mean yeah, like the one that yeah. tries to capture the, the vibrancy of the comic medium. Like you don't get that that often. Mm. You, you just so get... you're saying that the Bleach movie captured the vibrancy. No, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying yeah. I'm saying I'm saying like uh, like. This is like watching. This is like watching Spider-Man one after seeing. Not, not to compare Spider-Man one in quality, but at least in terms of like how much it captures the color and stuff. Spider-Man mm. one after seeing Spider-Verse, like the mm. energy is gone. The because because yeah, came, the, the, that's that is kind of how I was feeling during it. I'm like, it's it's fine. It, it does the things that yeah, Bleach it does. does. The things. Like the, like it does everything Bleach does. It lacks some heart though, and it makes it kind of like I I really enjoyed reading through the first volume of the manga. This I was fine to watch it. I wouldn't say this is a bad movie, but it it lacks like charm and like yeah. like yeah. maybe vibrancy is a way a good way to put it. Like it, it's the there's something lacking. It reminds me how one of the other things I really like dislike of again it goes into like me comparing it to like the source material to the manga is because this includes the grand fisher arc which i wanted to like show you guys but i was either it's like i keep orihime's brother or i remove that part and i was like i'd rather oh, so this keep is that because... so grand fisher is from the manga yes okay and is he the one that killed his mom yes okay remove a lot of credit against this movie because i was <laughs> a lot of this, even the scene of his mom dying is from the manga where he oh, runs up to see her and she's okay. just lying down dead but he thinks a car hit her and he's like this is my fault before he realizes it's a hollow and the grand fisher again is cooler in the manga because he uses a lore that's a- attached to the little girl that he can shapeshift into whatever he wants and he turns it into his mom that when does he fights sound familiar he turns it into his you mom when he fights that, yeah. ichigo which is a really like cool way to like throw him off balance in the fight because he keeps like holding it in front of him being like he does that in the movie me. too he stabs he ends up stabbing his mom when he's once it's like yeah. it's and then rookie is like it's an illusion whereas like in and the, he's like okay <laughs> yeah and then and then they teleport to like a city which is the other weird thing is like they start off in the mountains which is where they fight in the manga and then they're like we gotta somehow tie up all these plot threads so they just instantly teleport to a city which is where uh renji and byakuya also go to fight him. It, I, I i was gonna make fun of you for being like uh actually this is supposed to be mountains not city but i, I do agree that it, it does feel forced that every Every single character named character happens to be in this three block radius at yeah. the same yeah. time where it's like, ah, shit, we have to just do well, everything. Right well, it's now. one of the things where it's like, it's okay if you want to have the fight happen in a city. But the thing is, it's like the setting switch is so weird, and especially because it c- includes little scenes of like them walking up the hi- the family walking up the hill to go see the mom's grave. And they're talking about like how annoying this walk is. And it's like, that's directly from the manga. And then immediately it's like they just want to switch it completely over to <laughs> the city it's just bizarre. Yeah, it's weird. It's yeah. weird. That's probably with... Because, you know, they had this uh, set probably in the city and they had very low budget. That's why, that's why I mean it feels cheap. There's only a handful of sets in the movie overall, and you, uh, too. And that's, that's, one, that's one reason I... Uh, just to bitch about the ending real quick. Uh, I think in the manga it was at nighttime. Am I yes. remembering that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah. That's, uh, the, the ending fight with the two swordsman guys... Uh, that's where uh, the movie completely failed because it was it didn't feel, it felt much less cinematic than anything else. Even though yeah. 
compared to the manga that I was based on, especially because uh, it just felt like like people complain about the Marvel movies feeling flat with a very gray color palette and just people standing in very standard lighting. Uh, mm-hmm. That that was exactly that. I feel like I feel like uh, like a, the one lazier Marvel films for me. Uh, mm-hmm. And when I, well, I thought the, the, the comic had a cool night setting to it. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, more importantly, uh, you made me realize. So you made me completely abandon this movie because uh, <laughs> Grant Fisher from the manga. This, this movie fucking sucks because yeah. Grant and Fisher... again, his design too. Like the, the, the he looks a little bit more like a, a, a hairy hamster in the other one than just like just hair. <sighs> yeah, he's, not... he's still like yeah. a super like hairy kind of dude with like tentacles. Because uh, Grant Fisher, I thought it was a good concept. I didn't think they did it well enough or developed it well enough to make it work. Uh, so. Uh, it just it just took a, a was worked well and they fucked yeah. it up. Okay, so I do think it was a smart move to move that arc up to the very beginning and make yeah. that like the overarching arc of like his first. It, adventure. it is the, like the most emotionally charged thing that happens with Ichigo in the first arc, other than you know yeah. Rukia being taken because it's about his mom and having to adventure from a hollow. Yeah, and I like th- uh, going back to that like the, the difference between the manga and the uh, the movie is they. Uh, I had mentioned this in the episode, but they <clears throat> did not include the scene where Ichigo's like, I can't talk to you about this because, like, I'm this is too personal to me. And Rukia says to him, it's like, then I'll wait for you to tell me about this. It's like, they cut that out. I'm like, that was the core defining moment between, like, their relationship in the first yeah. arc, which is a weird thing not to include when you have, like, all the space to, like, especially when you're adapting lines from the manga directly to the show. It's like, that seems like an easy thing to do to show that she does care about him and she is part of this world now and she's not just the soul reaper. And to back up what Ryan was saying about the over the topness, uh, as, as much as, um, like, I'm, I'm met on the early chapters of Bleach, uh, one thing, the over the topness really helped uh, Rukia and Ichigo's relationship a lot. Because yeah. they have such they have such a they're such polarizing like uh, contrasting characters. They're always yelling at each other and stuff like that. In the movie, uh, if uh, like uh, if you don't know Rukia from the from the manga, you really don't care that she's going away in the movie. Like yeah. you don't get enough time to yeah. develop them. Her relationship with, with Ichigo isn't that interesting. While the manga, uh, uh, yeah, she's almost too like straightforward in the movie where she's got like a lot sass. more of a strong personality sass in the yeah. the yeah. manga where you're like, oh, she's cool because she, she doesn't take any guff from. She, she kind of has that like tsundere like yes exactly personality where it's like she's always yelling at the main character, kicking him and stuff, and it, it adds like some flavor to her as opposed to she's just like a reaper in this. Yeah, and they yeah. get she's to like, know this each is other. My duty. I got to do it. Yeah, they get to know each other a little, but it's you don't have the time to develop it. So, like, yeah, like you guys said, when the movie ends with her being taken away, you know, they're both crying a little bit, but I don't... I was like, that's kind of sad, but not like... When I was reading the manga, I, I felt much more emotional about everything I yeah. read. Mm-hmm. This is... And to go back to one of the things you were saying, Daryl, about the, like, slight change, like, why cut this dialogue and stuff like that, it's, it's one of the interesting things I've seen about a lot of anime and live action manga versus like Western adaptations. Like I said before, is that like as someone who hasn't watched a lot of anime, but has read mangas with like of the animes people have watched, Mm -hmm. I can talk to everybody because the animes are usually very, very faithful. Yes. Like I could talk about like death note and dragon ball Z, like no problem with, or full metal alchemist or whatever, like, you know, with people who've watched it. And it reminds me a lot of like, like the Western adaptation that I always look at when I talk about this kind of thing is like Watchmen, where it's mostly really, really accurate, but because of that, it makes the changes they make so jarring. Yeah. Because you have to ask, the, it's the same thing, like we've talked about this with like earlier seasons of Game of Thrones, where they make these slight changes 
And if it was just like a spiritual adaptation, like the Marvel movies are, like, you know, a lot of the DC movies are too, where it's not trying to adapt a specific plot, but more like a style or a tone, it's, you can get away with a lot more flexibility. But when it's like note for note, and then they make the slight change, it makes the audience like who have read the books or, you know, watched whatever it's originally from, ask the questions, why did you change this? And if you're not providing an answer... It's a bad change. Yeah, it's like why even keep it note for note if you're making yeah, like all exactly. This I think that's just how like brains work. It's like it's kind of like how Uncanny Valley's feeling. It's like when when something <laughs> looks almost human but it's not, and it make it creeps you out. It almost reminds me of the same thing where our minds are like, you put it in that box once it's so similar, and yeah. then the, the the deviations really do stand out to yeah. you, and they create like this dissonance in your mind where you're like, but but why like why make it. Why, yeah. why well, is this the different? reason why the reason why I use like Watchmen, for example, is like the whole the the whole point is that like these are regular guys, and then like when Zack Snyder just changes one thing, where like all of a sudden Rorschach can beat like fifteen cops before he gets taken down. That's a major change. Like that's why that no, movie yeah. sucks. But, <laughs> but, yeah, but what I mean is like on paper, it's a small, just like stylistic. Like, yeah. look, we'll have a cool more fight for yeah. Zack yeah. Snyder when he wrote that when he wrote, when he wrote that plot, he probably just viewed it in between notes. Cool action scene. Yeah, but what Rorschach. I mean is like it's something that it raises the question, like, why did you change it? And when the answer is, because it would look cool, it's like, oh, you don't get the whole point. That is why the movie sucks. Exactly. Like, with stuff like that, it reminds me of, like, our Game of Thrones conversations where I'm like, when you make changes like that, it shows me you don't get what this is about. And then I'm like, it's not just like a, oh, why not, like... like, why bring in this character, not that character? It's like, you're getting... You're missing the central point of the book... So fuck you. You can have adaptations that make big changes. Like the, you know, one of the ones that I go for is like the V for Vendetta movie where they change the political theme of the movie to make it more like modern instead of eighties. And like, to me, even if you don't like that change, they answer the question of like, why did you change this? It's because we were trying to tell a similar tone story with a different context. That makes sense to me where when you're like, why include these scenes where they're walking up this mountain and not the scenes where they come back. Like, that's... It's like, if you don't have an answer for that, it's just dumb. Since the Grant Fisher stuff was just in the manga, I think overall this was just a lazy note-for-note adaptation. And, (laughs) like, because... When you compare to, like... uh, I I, I talked to... Compared to, like, Spider-Man 1 or something like that. But those are, like... They're trying to capture a feeling... uh, Like, the Marvel movies are trying to capture a a decade or, or a general era of the character like Spider-Man was trying to capture like the 60s mm-hmm. uh, heroic Spider-Man kind of tone yeah. while uh, Amazing Spider-Man is more trying to go for like a grittier maybe 80s kind of Spider-Man and mm-hmm. uh, Far From Home is like trying to do like Ultimate Spider-Man in the uh, more 2000s tone like they're, uh-huh. they're, they're, they're doing all these conscious efforts to try to capture a bunch of era of a character in one movie while this movie is just page, like they took the fucking manga and just threw out pages for it for the most part and randomly mm-hmm. changed some notes. Did you guys know this got an eighty on Rotten Tomatoes? <laughs> out of out of five reviews. Yeah, but, but yeah, that, those out of five but reviews. But out, out of five, of, that's pretty good. Out of seven hundred and eighty <laughs> user reviews, it has a seventy-eight. Wow. Uh, well, you know, Bleach fans have been thirsty for content for a long time, like animated content. Yeah, well, what was it? What was it? Last Jedi has like a forty percent based on the viewer rating. So, <laughs> one of the yeah, critic reviews says it. it's dopey, colorful live action manga that plays like a dopey, violent Japanese Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, really? It really does say fucking like, dopey Harry Potter. That's fucking funny. You you also have to ask the question like, who is this for? Yeah. And like, Fan if boys. it's if, 
fanboys. Yeah, no, but that's the thing is if they were making it as like a let's expose a more Western audience or like a newer generation to Bleach, it would fail miserably. If it's just like let's do a nostalgia trip for like late twenty somethings to watch on Netflix as like a let's remember what I liked about Bleach, yeah. it's fine, you know. I yeah. I, I, agree. I think it's for and that I, latter audience. Yeah. I also think after watch like while I was watching this, I was kind of like. I kind of just want to watch the Bleach anime. Like, I want to stop watching this and watch the anime. If I'm if I if I want to see animated version of this, uh-huh. I I I'd, I'd rather check out it's, the anime. It's it's much better. It's again, like Ryan said, it is definitely faithful to the manga. You can get through like most of the. You can you don't have to read the manga. You can just watch the anime, if mm. to understand Bleach. And and there's guides online to skip filler too. So. Yep, which is what I did. I heard Bleach has better filler arcs than most uh, manga. Because they have separate story arcs instead of driving episodes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's mm-hmm. pretty crazy that this film opened at number four opening weekend, and on second weekend stayed at number five. <laughs> but then by third weekend was, uh, did, uh, was it in the Japanese box office. Yeah, Japanese box office is weird. I, there's lots of movies that are there for. I, I forget what number one movie is. Something crazy. I, I remember the the when Endgame came out. Like every country in the world, Endgame was number one except Japan had Detective Conan's new movie. <laughs> yeah, that was. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, like, the Bleach name still has a lot of pull. Mm. Also, I the other thing that kind of annoyed me with this movie is, it, like, how Ryan said, it's like you can keep some things, but then all the changes, like, kind of make it seem, like, a lot weirder. Um, I was down for, like, if you wanted to focus on the Grand Fisher storyline, that's cool because that's a central thing to Ichigo's character. But the problem is, is if you have all these extraneous characters that do things in different arcs, if they're just hanging around, they just they just feel like dead weight. Like yeah. th- there's Mr. Hat and Clogs who appears in like oh my god two oh, yeah. three scenes and you're like it, like he's a cool like kind of cameo character but he does like nothing but he keeps he keeps showing up yeah the the building falls down on Chad Chad like protects the other students by like holding up a piece of rubble and stuff which is like okay I guess that's his purpose but like Mr. Hat and Clogs does nothing or Hime kind of just stares at Ichigo the entire movie and that's all she does. I'm, I really am like obsessed with like fan edits of movies because I find it interesting like how much you can cut from a film or add to a film to mm-hmm. make it better or worse. Like when Star Wars Phantom Menace came out, there was almost immediately a fan made a thing called the Phantom Edit, which like cut as much jar as I as I could and a bunch <laughs> of stuff like that, and it made it a lot more enjoyable as a movie. And there's like cuts of the Hobbit trilogy to make it one movie, which is what it should have been in the fucking first place and stuff like that. Because I find editing interesting in general. Like just you get to see like what, what how mm-hmm. can you tell how much you can change about a story just from. Yeah, the way you pace it. like Star Wars was saved in the editing process. Um, yeah, and this movie, uh, if you if you cut out all the extraneous characters, you slim down the final uh, the final fights. It could be like a pilot for a TV show. Like uh, it really will feel that way. It could like, be like 30, 40 minutes if you keep yeah. in all the the contextual scenes, and especially like the last fight goes on for so long that you could cut oh a lot God. of that. And, <laughs> and we haven't even mentioned the fucking Quincy, the bow the bow and arrow guy. We briefly yeah. mentioned in the main show. We barely <laughs> mentioned him here because he's he has a lot more screen time than a, a lot of other characters you mentioned. Yeah. But he does he does nothing memorable either. He just throws shoots his bow. He he fights. He fights and he helps. He saves. But it's like one, it's like one, yeah, one second scene. Like literally, we we describe. I I, I feel less like I think he's cool to be included because like he tries to attack Renji at one point and then like he like <laughs> this was so dumb. He throws out the hollow bait. It from like that's another part of the manga is he has like hollow bait to attract hollows to a spot so he can like kill them and he uses that to like pull to attack to get the hollows to attack the boy which gets Ichigo to be like I should be a soul reaper 
And it, it, he was it, one of the that was one of the guys like he was one of the characters that I was like, I, I kind of like him in this movie. Like, this is pretty yeah. cool. But if I hadn't read the manga and you hadn't told me about that, Daryl, I would have no idea. What's yeah. Going. And yeah, uh, I, I feel like if you, you could cut him out very easily and not change much. You could cut him out. I, I like he does enough in the movies. They I'm not saying to the, okay. to, to the fraud, what you guys are saying, like he's not cool or anything. I'm just saying like, uh, for, like if you're going to I, I feel like Ichigo, if you're going to have. It'd be about Grant Fisher. I don't feel like they did enough of Grant Fisher. Like I don't feel it works well enough as a movie, and you have all these elements that could have better catered yeah. towards that movie. Yeah, yeah. This movie's also almost two hours long, and like it doesn't have to be. <laughs> yeah, two hours long for a plot that feels like it should be like forty-five minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, I have I took five short notes that are mostly two or three words long. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just want to give you, Daryl, my quick thoughts on this movie. One, you mentioned it. Hadn't clogs. Looks so fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, like, and, like in in the the manga, he looks like kind of like cool and suspicious. Here, he just kind of looks like an old dude that's like, leave me alone. <laughs> but it goes back to what Sly was saying. Like a lot of these characters, him most of all, just look like like decent cosplays. The, the, yeah. bro- the brother uh, looks the goofiest. Uh, uh, Rukia's brother. Oh, Piakuya! Oh, yeah. oh my Yaku, god, yeah, he does. <laughs> I thought I thought he had a severe visual downgrade. Like <laughs> yeah. like they miscast like. How, how how do you fuck up his casting? All he, he barely says anything. All you have to do is get a guy who looks cool. He looks like a dad <laughs> who shaved his half his head. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> he does look like a dad. Oh, shit. I forgot to mention the other thing I just really hated. It's that this, this is a sm- it's like both like a small change, but it's like the, the, the Watchmen where they have Warshak fight all those dudes. Where uh-huh. it's like, uh, they say that Renji was adopted into the Kuchiki family along with Rukia. And in the manga, Rukia was the one that was adopted into Byakuya's family, which is why she looks up to him with such reverence is because she has to, because she's like, I'm grateful for you taking me in and stuff. Whereas Renji was not, and he had to work his way up into Soul Society to become a captain. Because they used to be friends together, and then Rukia got adopted. And then Renji's like, I'll join you in Soul Society one day when I get stronger. And that, like, that's his story. And here they're just like, yeah, I got adopted too. Which is like a weird thing, because they're kind of, <laughs> like, there's romance between them. And it's like, now I'm basically your brother? Mm. What a dumb thing to do. That is a weird They joke. probably were, uh, like, so we, could, we could shave off, like, f- uh, an hour of plot just doing this. Let's yeah. have more fight scenes. Yeah, but it's like, why mention that? So a couple more of my notes. They're very short. Uh, one, I thought that this this moment was so dumb when he's like getting ready to when the the big bads are coming to to capture Rukia and take her home. They're like expositing all these very dramatic ghost things, and they might have said this line in the manga, but it didn't stand out to me as much as it did in a movie. They're going on and on about like you've betrayed the code, all this stuff, and then it gets real serious for a second, and one goes, "You have committed a soul felony," which is very <laughs> dumb. <laughs> I didn't even notice that <laughs> in the movie or in the manga. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's dumb. one of those things where it's like you'd have to look at the original Japanese to see if they yeah. like were, used the word soul or the kanji next yeah. to the Oh, I was also kanji. watching the dub, so it's very possible that it's just like some bad translation oh, or something. Oh, oh, oh. a soul felony. But <laughs> it just like it was so – the dub was bad for what it's worth. I didn't worth, see the but, dub. But it was so funny. I was like, "What? What? What is that? What? What is this soul felony? Is there soul misdemeanors? Like, <laughs> well, like soul cold? Soul whatever? Right. Yeah. What, what else? Is felony is just fucking hilarious. Uh, but one thing that was a weird set choice in uh, Ichigo's room. He had a bad religion poster that was just an oh, album yeah. cover from their 2005 album, The Empire Strikes First. And I was like, what a weird choice to put an album cover from, like, a 13-year-old album in this movie <laughs> that has, like, nothing. It's about, like, American foreign policy in Iraq. And it's I'm like, to fit in with his, <laughs> his look of the, like, covers that are, like, he has all, like, those. 
I know, guess punk ish. Yeah, actually, it's genius because people who watch this were probably like fourteen when the anime came out, and now it's like a scholarship. Oh, oh yeah, I fucking well, you're like, like yeah, that. bad religion. <laughs> Perhaps I mean I was exactly like that, so I guess you're right. <laughs> and the last thing is okay, so I haven't watched a lot of live action movies and stuff. I just have one question before I get to my last point. Is it common practice for a lot of the music to be in English? Yeah, it's or weird. is yes. that's it's common practice? I, 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 that's another thing. I, I hate fucking because uh, I wasn't sure if that was the American release soundtrack or the Japanese release soundtrack. No, it's because like all the music is in English, which is weird. All you gotta do is drink your milk. Oh, that's the thing. That's my last note. It's just the line. All you got to do is drink all your milk, which I'm definitely going to include at the end of this episode because I looked it up. Apparently, this song shows up in a lot of Bleach things. It's like a Bleach theme song. Does it? It's the main theme of the movie. That's yeah. I think it's been in more than one movie. I could be wrong. I was just looking at it right before we started recording, but it's this like metal song that breaks down and like right when it's like during this huge fight he's like about to be- beat him and the guitars cut out and this guy just goes all you gotta do is drink all your milk and then there's like there's like a remix part of the end where it's just like milk 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 and it was so it was excellent and yeah it's the song on youtube is only 58 seconds so it will be at the end of this episode it, into the thousands there was an era of like really cheap uh, movies that try like, they try to be like music videos during their fight scenes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If you remember Daredevil, uh, the movie they play, oh, they play, yeah, yeah, yeah. they play "Bring Me to Life" during a key fight scene. <laughs> yeah, by Evanescence, <laughs> like it makes the movie feel so much like uh, like a uh, music video, like a schlocky music video you're watching a late night. TV. So it's just like a ma- a bigger budget version of like a YouTube. And basically Japan, yes. never, basically Japan, yeah, basically Japan never grew up of that two thousands era that everyone hated, mm. and they keep doing it, and I really fucking hate it. Like fucking have an orchestral skull, please. Uh, just remember, all you gotta do is drink all your milk. All you gotta do is drink all your milk. That was such a weird, especially because it's like I feel like when most people think about Bleach, they think about like the opening song of the first season and stuff, and that would be cool to put in there because then it's like then you're throwing in the nostalgia really hard. But here you're just like, what is this song? It's also harder because we're an American audience and we recognize the lyrics, so it's especially dumb when we're like, oh, that's what that line means. Oh, I misread this. It's the song is heard in mo- numerous scenes of the live action adaptation yeah. of Bleach. I, I was going to say, I've never heard it. <laughs> I mean, on that thread, like, you know, almost every anime has English lyrics in their opening and ending songs that don't make that much sense. But again, they're, it's not, it's not, the target audience is not American. They're not native English speakers. That they, mm-hmm. get, they might get the words, a few of them, but it doesn't sound as awkward to native as if you're a native English speaker. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why, like, you see that in anime a lot. It's just, just, like... it's just, it's still weird because it's like if if you if you have a, especially since the movie's trying to be serious, uh, it generally has it has a serious a dramatic tone to it. Uh, it's like if you're watching fucking I don't know any Marvel film. Imagine where like Loki dies in Infinity War opening scene. Spoilers. Uh, imagine they fucking play uh, uh, Ramstein Duhast. Like, <laughs> just because you, you say, oh, you don't understand the words. No, it just fucking feels out of place in that scene. Please. I mean, again, it feels out of place to, like, you. I don't think a Japanese audience is going to, like, that's ubiquitous there. Like, tonally, like, it just feels, like, so weird because the movie's trying to be so serious. And then it goes to, that's another thing, I guess the problem with the movie, not knowing what the tone is going for. It, it goes for, like, this dramatic mom dead plot. And then it goes to, like, uh, Devil May Cry, like, rock music kind of fight scenes. Mm. Uh, well, 
in the immortal words of Alejandros, like a motherfucker in a courtroom trial, they try to figure out a rock star's lifestyle. Like someone's getting screwed who's cheating on who. Everybody's getting so sick of all the news. I'll tell you what you need if you want to proceed. You won't disagree. And there it goes. Take this as a warning. When you wake up in the morning, all you got to do is drink all your milk. <laughs> wow, this, is, this song's better than I thought. <laughs> I think we have a new theme song, guys. <laughs> Cool, great. All right, that's that movie. That, that for, I thought that movie would like feel. I'm like, it's okay. I feel like the only thing I like the stuff I was most interested in is the fact that it's like I kind of like the first arc of Bleach. So I was like, oh, this is cool yeah. seeing this played out. But it's also like the anime is just better at doing it because it's more like accurate to the manga. Whereas here, it's just like Reggie looks a little weird. Byakuya looks so pathetic and. It is, okay. I think it was worth doing it because, uh, at least from the ones I've seen, this is very emblematic of a lot of them. Like, uh, yeah. Do you guys like any live action anime or manga stuff? I guess not. I, I I don't. I haven't enjoyed one really. Yeah. I defended the, the Death Note one, but it is not nowhere as near as good as the manga. That's the question: is it could be like decent or good, but does it justify its existence? It's like people say a lot about like the live action Disney movies too. Like they're like, okay, like this is a fine film, but it's just like a worse version of this movie that already exists. Yeah. So why, why make this? It, it, they make it, it's because it's yeah, yeah. money, money. Exactly. There's, there's a part of the, every audience that's going to be like, wouldn't it be cool if I saw this in real life? Like if I yeah. got to see a real life version of Ichigo in this case. I think it's a ploy by the milk lobby to get more people <laughs> to drink. If, yeah. if, if, if I remember, I think they announced that this movie was coming out like in the last, like the very ten last 10 chapters when Bleach was like ending. And so a lot oh. of people are like, who gives a shit? This is a terrible shonen. Like don't adapt it. What are you doing? <laughs> but that's, that's why when, when I thought Grant Fisher uh, was an original plot, when I thought because when I said, oh, it's not Shakespeare, you could uh, theoretically create like a separate alternate good or at least better finale for the series if you're going mm. to be uh, more divergent. But if it, they are just fucking, everything was just a worse version of the manga, then no, fuck this yeah. movie. That's the other yeah. thing. It, it ends weirdly kind of like tonally because Ruki has to get taken back and it's like super sad. Whereas like in the manga, it builds up. It's like we have to go save her. Whereas, like, in the show, it's just like, well, that's me being a uh, Soul Reaper. I guess I'm done. I disagree. I think that works as a movie. I, I, I think it works as a movie because they don't know if they're going to get another movie uh, contract uh, with the, all the actors and everything. They don't know if it's going to be successful enough. So I think that was a good hedging their bets where it's kind of, it's, well, it's not, it doesn't really work because it's not a good movie. But <laughs> if it was a good movie, you'd be like, oh, so this is my foray to this world. It's sad that I had to end like this, but it's over. Uh, but but because if they had it, like it'd be like it's like if you watch Crazy Spider Man two, the end on Spider Man's uh, spoiler Spider Man's girlfriend dying. Uh, but they have a finale where he goes back to being Spider Man. He gets over it at the finale. As much as uh, it sucks that he gets over it in like a week, it would be much more depressing that that series ended with Spider Man <laughs> quitting because his girlfriend died forever. Yeah, <laughs> and then we wouldn't get to see Paul Giamatti as the Rhino for four minutes. Yes, that would be that's insane. the only, that's the only Spider-Man movie I ever saw. It's, ter- it's me, me too. The worst one. It's so terrible. <laughs> that's why when you said spoilers, I didn't even take my headphones off. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hot take: Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is better than the Bleach movie, <laughs> yes. but the Bleach movie is better than Amazing Spider-Man two. Yes, yes. <laughs> the hottest of takes. I haven't no. seen Amazing Spider-Man, so I can't confirm or deny me this. Too, but I'm I'll just going to watch it. <laughs> I like that that was your response to Phil, who also has that. <laughs> anyway. Thank you guys for backing us on Patreon. And just in case I forget, 
I keep meaning to thank our new backer, Ryan, on a real episode, which I will, but I forgot. So, you can't thank yourself. It's not me. <laughs> yeah. It's a different oh, Ryan. The, oh. Yeah. Brian. <laughs> yeah. So, thank you, Ryan. And if I and if I don't, if you hear this and I haven't thanked you on a real episode yet, wait longer. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I yeah. gave you permission to kill me or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also that. But I give those away. That doesn't mean anything. Waiting longer is a privilege. <laughs> So, okay, so thank you guys for backing us on Patreon and for listening to Divisive Issues. I've been Ryan. I've been Sly. I've been Phil. I forgot I, my name. <laughs> I've been Daryl. Stay in Patreon mode. Hello, and welcome to the Divisive Issues Patreon extravaganza for the month of November. Wow. And why, why do we still have to talk about Bleach? (laughs) Because there's a lot, again, a 15-year, like, series that's done by one man is going to have a lot of different facets and things to talk about. And this was brought up, like, from me talking to people in, like, the Discord chat. John Marie, one of his favorite characters, is Mayuri Kurosuchi from Bleach, who is basically a mad scientist. He's he's a very distinguishable character in Bleach because he always paints his face, so he's always has like. Now, different... I just have a question: what? Is that one of his favorite characters always, or like of Bleach? Uh, that's a good question. I would have to ask him. I just know that he likes this okay. guy. Okay. I don't think well, I, I don't think anyone pretty highly walks away from Bleach being like, "This is my favorite character of all time." <laughs> You're just like out of all these, of all this terribleness, this is my shining light in Bleach. <clears throat> but I wanted to talk about him because um, there's there's a certain amount of characters that like I wanted to give more, uh, show more of in the main arc of Bleach. But basically, I've turned it into ba- the Ichigo show because I'm showing you every like one of his fights and what he goes through, and all these side characters that a lot of people love. I have to leave off to the side. And I was able to include Kimpachi. And I was able to include Byakuya, so you guys get like to know him. But Mayuri Kurosuchi is one of the other big characters in the show, and I really don't like him <laughs> because he is essentially uh, Joseph Mengele as like an evil as a spirit person. And I I have a whole bunch of things like listed of when he gets first introduced. He- Wait, what's wrong with what's wrong with Joseph Mengele? <laughs> don't even. So, um, when he's first introduced, Mayuri, uh, he, the Quincy in the show, that's, this is the captain that he fights. Well, Cad jobs to another captain and Ichigo fights Kenpachi. The Quincy fights this guy and he's able to beat him. So at least he doesn't job. But, uh, so this guy, when he's first introduced, he sends his own guys in to capture the Quincy and they, they go over and they grab him and 
uh, well, first he's like, he's in disguise and stuff. It's so dumb. He's in disguise and these guys are like shaking his hands. And they're like, hey, how you doing? Anyway, I'm from like this person's team and Mayuri put bombs in them. And so it makes them blow up. And there's even a whole chapter about like this or the first two pages of this guy being like, I was so happy I was able to join uh, Soul Society. You know, I've been looking forward to this day. I'm not that strong, but I at least want to be useful to my captain. And then it shows him as he's blowing up, he's reaching his hand over to Mayuri. He's like, why? Why would you do this to me? And his hand becomes like big and grotesque like a, a tetsuo kind of baby hand and he just blows up into blood and fire and then Mayuri reveals that he like he does all these other terrible experiments on people because he's just a doctor that experiments with people and he says that like a woman's screams have more charm than a man's screams he drills holes into people's heads while they're still alive he makes parents burn their children and he tortured the quincy's grandfather until his original form was unrecognizable except for his face and he also, he has like this homunculus daughter that he carries around that he beats and kind of has sex with in order to revive her. It's played as a joke that everyone's like, ew, what are you doing? And they have to turn away. He's like, what? This is how she comes back to life. And they're like, that's like, that's lewd what you just did. And his bankai also, which he used on the Quincy, emits poison for a hundred mile radius that kills everyone. And he was, he was going to use it. <laughs> So I kept prepping a joke to make, but that just kept getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. And, and this guy never faces any comeuppance. He's a main character in the series. And it's just when he appears, they're like, oh, there's that crazy evil doctor that tortures people for a living. For a living? People pay him to do this? I mean, he's part of Soul Society. He's a captain. Oh, captain, my captain. <laughs> so he's he like he never gets reprimanded. They're just like, oh, just you know, stay away from him. I'm like, so what is so why do people why does John love him? I assume because it's Bleach. There's a huge subset of people that love him. <sighs> I mean, he's like when you see him, he's very entertaining. He was the one I was most afraid of Sly liking him because he's just such like a he is an interesting character, but he's also just like such a shitty character. Like, he's a terrible person, but he, he steals the scene, like, whenever he appears and stuff. He's very fun to watch. Sly, respond to that. <laughs> well, the fact that he, he never... I, I like asshole characters, but this gets mm -hmm. into uh, what I... We were talking about sympathetic villains or redeemer villains. This gets mm -hmm. into uh, what annoys me about them is they never... A lot of them never get any comeuppance, and I hate that. Yeah. I hate that. And that that's why I don't like him, is because there's never a comeuppance, whether it's from his own team or an enemy that fights him, no one can outdo this guy or punish him. My big example of like a villain I love is Palpatine. Palpatine's a piece of shit. He loves being evil. He loves cackling. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. uh, But he, he fucking loses he, in the end. Like, he gets Palpatine, thrown in yeah. <laughs> It's an obsession to, uh, today with too much with sympathetic villains in general so i appreciate the people who are just shitheads but the shitheads have to <laughs> suffer like you just you have to i i, I it's, it's it's kind of gone the other scale other side of scale for me where everyone wants to make the villain nuanced and sympathetic and all this sort of mm -hmm. stuff that i want people to do something evil i love causing pain and they just lose i, I like that hmm. see i i am a big sucker for like the villain origin story that's like sympathetic but at the end of the day at the end of that story they should still be a bad guy and they should still lose. Mm. And like one of the things that I like about the world of comics is that they usually have both. I don't like the trend that every villain has to be sympathetic. Mm -hmm. Like there should be some people that are just pieces of shit. And like, mm -hmm. but I feel like a lot of times people mistake sympathetic villains, both writers and audiences, sympathetic villains for anti-heroes. And those are very different things. Yes. <laughs> 
I, I think with the case of like Mayuri, this the evil doctor guy, it's not Clearly so much an like anti-hero. The, yeah, it's not so much like the sympathetic <laughs> stuff, but it's like how people overlook this villains like everything they did because like fans really like them so then they become like a main cast it's like having like carnage join the x-men or something you're like why are you doing this like don't have this on your side but it's like fans really enjoy seeing them do stuff but he joins he joins a team and presumably no one fucking yells at him too much right yeah yeah that that's that drives me up the wall uh, comics do that too like Sabretooth is a serial killer. Like a serial killer. Oh yeah, killer. that's a good comparison. <laughs> yeah, he he joins he joins the X Men multiple times and he fucking always drives me off the wall. People should be like, you literally like murdered fucking children and stuff. Get the fuck out of this fucking team. Because- <laughs> well, uh, in in defense of that, oh, one time it's because Red Skull took Professor Xavier's brain and flipped everyone from good to bad. <laughs> sure, and bad to good. That's fair. That I can't ever- argue with that logic. So, that, so wait, was no was Sabretooth's brain flipped too bad and that's when he's serial killers? Oh no, he was a serial killer, and, and then they, they flipped, flipped him good. too good. I'm glad. I'm glad morality is a, a light switch. <laughs> it's and it's funny because everybody else switched back except Sabretooth because they're like, well, Wolverine's dead, so he's just Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. This is also when Connor became a good guy too. It's going too Guys, bad. I can't. I can't take this. <laughs> it's <so>. dumb. <laughs> Do, are you okay, Phil? With like, like. Another example that's really good is like Vegeta, because yes. when Vegeta's first introduced, it, he's shown blowing up a planet full of people, which yes. is like billions of lives. <laughs> it's tough because like in probably the way John Marie feels, I assume I don't know, but like it's they're so over the top evil that you just have to like relish in it a little. Where it's like mm-hmm. he he's not act, like there's a difference between like someone who's a real life person who's a serial killer who actually goes and hunts and murders people and like. I just blow up planets level, or like I emit yeah. poison gas that murders everyone. <laughs> well, like, we were actually John and I were talking about this exact thing based uh, in the Discord yesterday, based upon some of the stuff that you complain about in comics. Phil is that like it's very difficult to compare our regular real world morality to that because you said like average bank robbers get these huge missile launchers and they kill like a hundred people, <laughs> yeah. which is not how like like our morality doesn't work. Where like because these are just like the standard kind of bad guy has killed dozens of people <laughs> yeah. in these worlds that like you have to scale it up that like killing one person is like i think the example i use is like i feel like is akin to jaywalking in our world yeah yeah we still get weird instances like um when um kyle rayner's girlfriend gets fridged you wouldn't be like well that guy's like fine like he could still be a good guy you're like no that's very this true. guy forever like when it becomes that's personal then it's like oh but when it's like a new statistic you're like it doesn't matter if Captain Boomerang accidentally. Well, cut look, off the head it's of we child. got the Joker from the Dark Knight here. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, uh, like Vegeta. It's problem is like with manga. It's always written as it's like the creator fucking like wants it. We talk about um, the writer of Bleach just wanting to go bigger and better as he's writing it, basically, and not thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a Dragon Ball writer uh, wanted to quit after um, the Raditz fight. Raditz was supposed to be like the last story arc, but they kept making him fucking keep writing it. Um, and so he's like, whatever, I make whatever happen. So at that point, they don't even care enough, so they just catered to fans, like, probably. So Vegeta was popular with the fans who were like, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a good guy now, it doesn't matter the context or anything. I just- will say, as a child watching Dragon Ball Z, like, I would yell about Vegeta because I'm like, you know, maybe not, I, I, I like, wasn't like, he's immoral, like, kick him off the team, but when, like, when he would endanger people because of his, like, you know, villain streak, 
Like I would, I disliked him for that reason. Like when he let Cell go, when he was not fully evolved, mm-hmm. just so he could prove, he's like, I want to fight you at your true form. I was like, you literally might have doomed like the world. So mm-hmm. you're a piece of shit still. Yeah. And another like a uh, person in the discord had brought up like when he joins Majin Buu. I never like, actually that. saw the whole Buu saga. Okay. Well. He basically takes power to become evil, like permanently evil, like an evil slave to this guy. Because he's like, I just want to be stronger than Goku. Okay, yeah, then fuck him. He's, he's, uh, he's the worst thing. The worst thing he did is why he gotta hurt Bulma like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Did he hurt Bulma? I thought she was always like he's cool. I feel like Chi Chi was always getting shit on by Goku, not not purposefully, but yeah, he's just he well, more, I mean, more like Bulma's like, hey Vegeta, you're like good now, right? And he's like, no, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She shouldn't have gone for the bad boy, you know. Yeah, Yamcha was right there, people. I <laughs> or was he anymore by that stage? Who knows? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the Dragon Ball cast. <laughs> <laughs> so, is the question about irredeemable villains? Yeah, like what? What is? What is? Because it's always tough. Because it's with, let's just, with this. Like, where, when does someone become irredeemable? Versus so, drilling holes in people's heads for fun is irredeemable. Not well, the thing is, it's he ta- he takes enjoyment out of studying people, and it doesn't, even, which is. Again, the other weird thing with Bleach is I don't know if, like, Kubo, like, he's exaggerating these things, but then it becomes canon, where he's like, I made children burn their parents alive. We have get no context. He just says this as he's, like, screaming at the Quincy about what he does. And it's like, we don't know why he does this, but that's just a thing now. Can there be a good reason for doing to, to <laughs> Some scientific reason why you'd there, want to... There's an interesting parallel uh, with Siler in Heroes... Because Silent Heroes thing was he cuts open people's brains and uh, expects them to get powers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about Siler was they spent four seasons trying to make him desperately into a good guy. They tried four, like four different times, and the series ended after they finally accomplished it. I don't, I don't even like that. I hate it even more when they even acknowledge that he's a bad guy in the first place. I think, I think the motivation is a big thing. Like, you guys were just talking about, like, what's the reason why they do this? And, like, Sly's talking about, like, he's doing this to give them powers or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, I think why they do it is a big purpose. Where, like, if you have somebody, like, for example, like, I'm going to talk about Flash villains real quick. So buckle up, I'm buckled. (laughs) Even though the (laughs) buckle can't stop the speed force. (laughs) Like, you have somebody like Captain Cold who is uh, a villain with ethics. And I I, he's still a villain. But, like, he'll... Yeah, he only really kill for the most part when he's written well. He only really kills people because, like, if he absolutely has to, like he or he just hates cops. Those are like the big two. <laughs> but like he, when you so he ask, doesn't like, kill indiscriminately. Is, he doesn't kill indiscriminately. Whereas like there's other flesh villains like Double Down that are just straight serial killers. What's his power? That like he his skin is made out of playing cards. <laughs> no. <laughs> How do you kill someone like that? He th- he throws them. It's not important. No, no. <laughs> Tell me. Okay, so he was he's he like some. I think he was like a magic deck of cards got thrown in his face or something. So now he peels his skin off and then throws it like gambit and it's like razor sharp and it kills people. Razor sharp but, card skin. But the point is that he is a villain. Or okay, for example, okay, Murmur is a serial killer. He's a straight people? up serial killer. He kills people. He stabs them to death, and he sews their mouth shut. Oh, okay, all right. That's and he's killer. someone that kills people to kill people. Yeah. 
Like, that's his whole thing, is he is a serial killer that wants to kill people. Or, like, in Batman, like, Mr. Zazz wants to just kill people. Mm -hmm. Whereas, I think that that's the big difference, is those characters, you shouldn't make them, like, sympathetic or redeemable. But when you have characters with a moral code, even if it's a misguided moral code that are doing things for a particular reason... I think that makes more... It, there's more leeway to have them still be bad guys, but more nuanced bad guys. Mm -hmm. So, like, the guy you're talking about from Bleach, if he drills people's holes... It drills holes in people's heads for fun, that's really shitty. He does it, he does it for science. It's also... There's also another difficult layer where it's... He helps the people, like, after he's introduced and, like, is super rude to uh, the Quincy and, like, gloats in his face how he killed his grandfather. Like, he helps everyone fight the bad guys. Like, without him, no one would have won any of the future arcs against the villains. Kinda. But isn't he still making those choices to help for an inherently selfish reason? Yes, absolutely. Like, he, it shows he doesn't really, like, like anyone other than his yeah. weird daughter robot. And even when you do good things, like Captain Cold has like a begrudging respect for the Flash and will let him go sometimes, that doesn't make him a good guy. He's doing this good thing, but for like selfish reasons because like he has to balance the scales or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's, I think motivation is the most important part because we all do good things and for bad reasons and bad things for good reasons all the time. And I think it's the motivation that makes you decide as the reader do you think they're a villain or a hero mm -hmm. I, st I stopped reading uh justice league before captain cold joined the team uh so oh that was a very short very dumb era <laughs> okay, that, that, that's that, okay that's that's I, I, I bring that up because there's a difference between sympathetic villain and anti-hero and mm -hmm. it sounds like what this guy becomes like an anti-hero. He's on the side of the team and he doesn't get punishment. Yeah. While Captain Cole is always a criminal, he's always he's always a villain. He's never treated as a hero. Uh, if he's like he's always a straight villain. He's never treated as yeah. anything other than a villain. Yeah, and even when you feel for him and you're sympathetic for him, he's still the bad guy. And the mm. one the one aside that I'll have is the reason why he's on the Justice League is because Lex Luthor tricks the world into thinking he's a hero and joins the team and he hires Captain Cold as his bodyguard just because he thinks it's funny to have him be on the Justice League. <laughs> he's still cool. a bad guy. <sighs> but uh, but even though that sounds dumb, it's still in line with what Sly's saying is like, he's not like, I'm going to be a hero now. Yeah. He's still a petty Well, the thug. thing, the Nazi doctor is the same way where he's like, I'm not going to suddenly be the heroes. It's just that suddenly the Soul Society basically like just they're on the same side as Ichigo. Like there's a greater enemy for them to fight after that happens. But like he doesn't change his ways. I don't think that's ever said in the text of Bleach. That it's like he stops doing this. Sly, you complain a lot about with Venom and Carnage, right? That Venom, like, was this villain, and then he yes. became an antihero just because Carnage was so much more extreme. Yes. Uh, yeah. The the biggest example of, and this is this mentality is dead. Like even comics, I keep saying the fucking X Men are now all war criminals, basically. But like the biggest example of how it used to matter in comics was in the seventies. Uh, they had the Dark Phoenix saga, and basically the editor said you can't use Jean Grey like. Uh, ever again because she is now a mass murderer. She's done. Like, you can't use her. And if, it took 10 years for them to unwind and reverse and say, oh, she didn't really kill those people. That was somebody else pretending to be her. They did all this stuff. <laughs> oh, and my it, God. It's always someone else. It's a clone from <laughs> Evil Dimension. But, but that, that's still better. But I, I prefer that over... 
your heroes are now murderers. Them. Your heroes are now just mass yeah. murderers. You, mm. All the X-Men have killed countless people. They just, they just all be in the fucking jail. I, I much, now no one gives a shit on, on any fucking uh, genre. Mm. But back then, these comics gave a shit. But uh, every genre, you could kill many people and still be considered a hero. Yeah. Mm. That's one thing we talked about in 52. Like, Black Adam was this great anti-hero. Mm-hmm. And then he became irredeemable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and like anytime DC tried to use him after that, it was very difficult because like the heroes were like, we need your help. And it's like, he murdered like a lot of people. Yeah. Millions. It was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know me, I, I, I like Punisher 2009. I like focusing on morally ambiguous characters. We have to uh, establish that everyone fucking hates his character. He's doing fucked up shit. Like, <laughs> he, like keeping prisoners in his basement. <laughs> yeah, like I, you, like, I wouldn't mind that Mango character if he was just a villain they'd be the shadow because yeah. I would probably be like, yeah, that's cool, but the fact he joins a team, like, like Vegeta is a cool character. The problem is he never gets any comeuppance for what he did. Oh. The series. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I should... Well, Go- Goku beats his ass. Yeah, but like, yeah. Vegeta, Vegeta likes. I mean, he I guess, like Vegeta likes. <laughs> no, Goku likes being his ass because he likes fighting. There, people. there is like, there is always like the humbling. Like the Quincy beats that guy and he humbles him. Goku beats Vegeta and he humbles him, and then yeah, after but that's, that's when not a punishment for yeah. genocide. He's not like what you did was wrong. It's, he's it's, like, I'm stronger than you. But yeah. it's weird because it's like in a lot of like manga, it's like that's good enough. It's like okay, they've been like knocked down a peg. They don't think they're yeah, hot. Yeah, but shit like, anymore. imagine, imagine if I killed everyone you've ever met, and then <laughs> yeah. I was like, but I. I'm humble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that's an answer too, but I feel like that's the well, universe explanation. You killed everyone I ever met, and then I beat the shit out of you and keep you on a leash, and I'm like, now you're my like. But, but he's not. It's Vegeta's fucking ego that gets in his way. Like he's just catering his, to his ego to try to keep beating Goku over and over again. Like, and Goku he's giving the opportunity because Goku's a fucking jerk off. Like he's wanting that's to fight. <laughs> he <laughs> does say, "I'm gonna stay here and just try to kill you over and over." And Goku's but like, Dragon Ball has such a weird sense of morality, uh, like urgency and morality yeah. that like it's not. Like, I think Vegeta only works because this world is so fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah. Goku's, Goku's the fucking worst character ever written on paper. So, <laughs> uh, it's also that. And that's also, that's also why I also I can forgive Vegeta. Because, I think a lot of people forgive Vegeta because Goku's so terrible. Vegeta's yeah, I, I like this idea of Sly letting Vegeta off the hook because he hates Goku so much. Goku, do you like Goku, Daryl? Can you defend no, that character? Not really. Yeah, I, I used to as a kid because I'm like, yeah, he's a hero. And then you're like, oh, he's not a hero. He's just a guy that likes fighting. Yeah. yeah. He's a deadbeat dad. Yeah, that <laughs> too. Who would rather get into bar fights than be there for his son. And, and that's, yeah. why I get, that's why I always get passionate about, like, uh, I use Yamcha as like, the most pathetic example. But really, like, it's really like Krillin and Piccolo, the characters I really care about. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're better. Almost everyone's a better character than Goku. Like, the story should follow those characters instead. Yeah. Fuck Goku. Yeah. Well, this how, do you feel, your... how do you guys feel about Shadow the Hedgehog? I love him. See, he's anti-hero, but he's not like... Uh, has he killed uh, he, anyone? He doesn't kill anyone, I don't think. Uh, not until the Shadow the Hedgehog game where you just kill cops. <laughs> you can like, shoot as bad in a good path you can take. You can, do you, yeah. do you yeah, shoot yeah, yeah. cops in that one, or do you like have to rescue cops and you opt not to? There's a, there's a good ending yeah. batting depending on whether you kill or save Yeah, I think... No, I know he, he kills aliens, Eggman like, at the end, spoilers. I think, I think he kills cops. <laughs> also, at the end, that game has like 70 endings. <laughs> also, that game is based on fucking... Also, Sonic's rip off of Dragon Ball Z anyway. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's why I pivoted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Shadow is way more redeemable than Vegeta. Yeah. And yeah. also, he has like a traumatic upbringing. Yeah, he's a sympathetic yeah. anti-hero. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things that I'm talking about, is Shadow's motivations are warped by his trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and like... As he learns to cope with them, if you choose the good path. The problem is, I think with a lot of villains, like in in a real world, like everyone who's an asshole 
is shaped by their trauma and that like yes. Yes. Kind of trauma. they all are all serial killers and, are fucking yeah like no one wakes up no a baby doesn't like wake up and be well, like you have, finally I'm out you have a small percent of people who like legitimately don't have that capacity for empathy in their brains or like actual mm-hmm. sociopaths but then it's like they're like that's not their no, that's not, that's fault not, that's necessarily that's not the majority of people who no like, it's not yeah it's, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's like three percent of people uh who that kind of stuff are but like so does like the question though is like does that let them off the hook it doesn't you, no like it, you, you can understand this is why you're such an asshole but you're still such an asshole yeah, that. That, 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 that's why like, Ryan gives a great example of Shadow Hedgehog, a very nuanced <laughs> example. Uh, like, I would not support Shadow Hedgehog if he did kill cops. I don't remember. I, I don't like, remember last time I played a game. Like, no, no, I but it's only in the other game, Shadow the Hedgehog, the game. Yeah, we're talking specifically Sonic Adventure 2 here. Yeah, Sonic, yeah, Sonic think, Adventure 2, he is not killed. I'm facetiously yeah. talking yeah, so, about like, that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, there's always different between an anti hero. Like, I, I could uh, do things outside the law, maybe cause some public damage. The difference between that and I will murder innocent people. But I yeah. think he. Didn't he want to take over the world? I think he did. I think it was just working with being manipulated by Eggman. Yeah, I don't think... I feel like his his motivations in that game are very loose. (laughs) Like, I'm like, he's working with Eggman because of Professor Gerald? And even then, taking taking over the world, everyone, like, if you're, like, uh... You could be a good the guy. ultimate life form. You could be a good guy trying to take, try to take up the world for the better. Like, the, the, oh, the, here we go. Yeah, like an Ozymandias. Okay, but how about Ozymandias, the hero of Watchmen? How about Light? Light from Death Note. Is he uh, a villain? And is he if he is he's, a villain? He's a villain. He's a villain because he because he's killing some people in his way. But uh, I mean, I mean. But it's for the greater good, you said. It's okay. But I'm not saying for the greater good. I'm saying you could have the goal to take the world and shape it in a certain way, and not necessarily be a villain just because based on that alone. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't we all try to shape our corner of the world as much as we can? <laughs> well, some people can't. some people are more idealistic than others, like uh, Edelgard. <laughs> Fuck you! Don't you dare <laughs> slander her name. <laughs> Fire! But, no, but I think that that's sorry. I think that's a really valid point. Of like, that's where it comes back to like motivations for me, and also like we are. Not, it's not our fault. Our traumas and mental illnesses and imbalances and all sorts of things, but it, they are our responsibility. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, like that sucks, but like that's the way it is. And when other people are hurt, I think that also gets into the factor of like whose forgiveness is the one that matters. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody wrongs Phil, I don't think it's my job to be the one who forgives them and calls them a hero. It's Phil's. And when you have somebody like Vegeta who's but, blowing up But planets, what happens when everyone that could forgive Vegeta is dead because <laughs> but the planet blows up? <laughs> that's what that's what I'm getting at is like that's a tougher conversation to have. Yeah. It's like, how can you redeem for something when that is forever done and cannot be undone? I, I saw people like talking too about like redeemable villain stuff. It's like, how would Darth Vader's arc play out nowadays with our 2019 morality? Oh, wait, I think we're going to see it with Kylo Ren. Probably. probably. Yeah. It's like, you can definitely see it there echoing there, but I would, it would have been interesting to see. Are you talking like, his arc yeah his arc about like him or his arcs in like the prequel the original trilogy okay about like him basically being bad man for the two movies and then like more sympathetic like he he did care and love for his son in the third one well vader follows the traditional uh format of a sympathetic villain where he has done too much to like it's uh, the irredeemable sympathetic villain where they do too much and therefore they have to die they have to die they have to die die. that's 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 the old rule and now uh, uh, hopefully i think that i I prefer that i i I don't think you should have just off gene gray 
<laughs> yeah. They did. That's what they did. But, but, like, but then they had to bring her back. Because <laughs> you wanted her back. But, like, yeah. there's always... That's probably with comics being endless... Uh, and never ending but like something yeah. like Star Wars which was one director for the longest time making one story you could do that you could have um, him just uh, you know d- die and uh, to bring about another sympathetic villain but uh, one thing I just want to say about Star yeah, Wars yeah, real go, quick go uh, Lucas also sets himself up where he has these magic forces of dark and good that like control you kind of mm-hmm. no so I it's they a, do the no, force is one you. thing that you you emphasize you can use different aspects no of but it. what I mean is you can be corrupted by this evil but force but you're corrupted because of your natural temptation and yeah 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 no yeah. I'm not saying that that makes Vader like good or like a victim but it does lend itself a little bit more to the black and white view that he's setting up in this world that like I think that that is I, there's, I, I, I view that as more metaphorical like I yeah. view that as more your own rage and and um, yeah, that, it's, taking, it's taking your bad traits and and uh, you're falling prey to your own ego and anger. No, but and... I mean it also does cloud your judgment. No, they literally say they literally say in the prequels at least fear leads to hatred, hatred leads to suffering, whatever the fuck it was. But like the end of the dark side at the end, but there's always emotions that lead to like they're very relatable emotions that lead to that. Like you could say, I don't think it's. Car, like a physical enough that that control over people I, I think it's supposed to be I don't mean that it's physically controlling you but like it does it it's kind of like a, a like I do agree that it's more metaphorical but it's like the violence begets violence kind of idea that once it starts it gets it does have physical manifestations but that's like, any, you, like when you the first time someone kills someone yes that, you you spiral yeah. after that I mean yeah like, but I think that this is it is a more quantifiable spiral. That in in more... nerd sense, but I think in terms of what the writer intended, I think it's supposed to be what Phil's saying, where once you do evil, it's more able to do evil again and continue down the path of, of cruelty. But it makes your eyes change colors. <laughs> once, I, once Order 66 happened, there was no going back. Yeah. yeah. So just to segue real quick to Magneto. Yeah, he was another one I was thinking of. Yeah, so Magneto, and it's funny, the movie's not a cliche because every fucking member, every fucking entry in the, the first class trilogy is him becoming good becoming evil him becoming good him becoming evil yeah but uh, it's but, so it was so funny always watching he's like i got a family now you're like no you don't dog <laughs> like that's not especially because it was done so good in x2 like you didn't have to do it again at all <laughs> yeah uh, it's interesting because magneto um originally he was just a black and white villain he was just like another dr doom type um wahaha i love evil mm-hmm. yeah uh, over the top he even like has the same kind of grandiose like mythical kind of quality to him yeah. His costume being like, um, I don't know how to describe it, but like kind of gothic esque. The... And also purple is the regal color. Yeah, regal. Yes, yes. That's what I'm looking for. Regal, regal. It's very regal alpha. Just like Doctor Doom is very regal green and metal mm-hmm. armor and stuff like that. Doctor Magneto has the same helmet and the, the purple and the red. Yeah. But, but uh, then in, in the 80s, uh, another writer wanted him to join the X Men. He wanted to become a sympathetic villain and join the X Men. So uh, now the character basically has been perpetually stuck because people want him as a villain because he's it's X Men versus Magneto that's the iconic clash, mm-hmm. b- b- but like you can never make him fully good then because people want him as a villain. But like if he were to ever continue his growth, he will become just a good guy. But they never let him become a good guy. Yeah, mm. and like they they in the late seventies that's when they introduced like the Holocaust background and he, everything yeah. to give his politics and views more nuance. And it's funny that like. 
I feel like Chris Claremont really wanted to make Magneto more of a good guy. That's what I'm saying. But I'm saying, it, uh, if you read those stories, it very clearly feels like Magneto is becoming a good guy, and a whole chunk of that era is basically the X-Men getting over their old prejudice against him and realizing yeah. he really wants to redeem himself. And then but he, the thing then that I end, find really funny is yeah. that Marvel, over the especially over the last like 20 years, has more so made the X-Men adapt to Magneto's badness <laughs> yeah. than the other way around. <laughs> yes. That's true. But, like, that's what you're saying about them, like, all being war criminals is, like, now when Magneto's on the X-Men, you're not like, whoa, I can't believe they're okay with Magneto being an X-Men. You're like, wow, Magneto's a lot like these other X-Men. <laughs> yeah. Good old X-Men. Yeah. I feel like we should read more just so you guys can get mad on radio, on podcast. I don't know. I love the X-Men. Even the bad stuff, I'm, like, always into it. <laughs> X-Men's tough. X-Men's like Bleach. Like, you gotta fucking cater it in a certain way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But one thing is... um. If you were to do X-Men, I would want to do stuff that Phil already read already. Maybe he'll want to do it again for nostalgia's sake. But I do love X-Men. <laughs> but I also want Phil to get to the, new, the, the, like the later stuff when it gets really like fucking crazy. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah. how are we feeling about villains that drill holes in people's heads? I they have man. to get their. They have to get fucking punked out at the end. Yeah, they, they gotta die. To. They gotta die. He has to die. Like, what he, if they he, get punked out, but then they just still hang around? No, they gotta die. That's, Amy, <laughs> they more Amy cats should die in general. Like if you're Yamcha and not doing anything, you should die. If you're a Mangala not doing being evil, you should die. You Look just, at George R. R. Martin over here just killing people. <laughs> that's, why, that's why George R. R. Martin makes such a big impact in fiction because he's like, hey, a cat completes his arc. Maybe you should not be in the story anymore. And people yeah. are like, what a shocker. This it, even when their arcs are incomplete, he's like, yeah. well, I love happens. that, dude. It's like, yeah, sometimes their arc's not done. That's no, but, but even life. in that case, even in that case, a lot of times their arc is complete by somebody else, which is an yeah. interesting yeah. aspect you can yeah. use too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think Game of Thrones also, like, Song of Ice and Fire as a series has a lot of very interesting, sympathetic villains. Most that, of them, like, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's still, and I it's think he the, does, It's because they're all human like, yeah, Martin tries to write them as human as possible, which is, rather which than is why it's what like, the show does, where it's like as inhuman as possible. That, that's why the the books are so great to me. Is like besides the fact that I like world building, but it's like it, it it's not just the setting. Then it becomes like the characters are more genuine. Where it's hard to argue this about Shadow the Hedgehog or Vegeta because it's like th- yeah, no one acts like human beings in this world. Mm, really, those, yeah. those worlds those worlds don't feel real. They feel like you're just watching like a like a play, like a kid's making out basically. Right. Whereas yeah. in that, like he he grounds it so much that I'm like, oh, these are actual people who have lives and feelings and stuff. And then you can be like, I I understand why this person's doing this. I think that that's, and I'm not, I'm not getting into a uh, whole political debate here, but I think that's one of the reasons why sympathetic villains are important because the people that we view as villains in like real work in the real life, I think it's important to understand why they are the way they are and why they feel the way they do. Even if we're not going to say, Oh, they're just like, I'm not saying they're misunderstood or that they're not villains, Mm -hmm. but I think if you're going to try to change people's minds or convince people, or even just make your case effectively, you need to understand like the more, like the, the more sympathetic aspects of their villainy in yeah, order you need to, to understand where yeah. the, like evil springs from. Like you yeah. can't you can't squash out a uh, problem until you know where it's coming from. Yeah. The, the fact too is that they probably think they're doing the right thing generally, yep. yeah. and I don't think like this Mangala character thinks he's doing the right thing. Like in in, in that's yeah. that's in fiction. A lot of times it's like this person could not think that they are this is where their life should be going. Whereas people in real life do generally think this is for the best, or yeah. like I need to do this, or whatever. As Sartre says, yeah. you never choose the worst for yourself. Yeah, yeah, and he's a smart guy. 
<laughs> and like I think it's important to understand when is it a a bad deed done for good reasons and when is it a purely selfish act because people make super selfish decisions all the time mm -hmm. and I think it's important to be able to rectify like they're just being an asshole there versus they think that that is the morally right choice and I mm -hmm. have to be able to dissect that to understand how I can ever either square that with my view of them as a person or explain to them why I think that's fucking terrible mm -hmm. very good before we leave one last example of a, of a <laughs> redeemable villain uh, Loki should he be redeemed? Oh, after Loki. After destroying New York City. Like in the movies? Lo yeah, Loki, the movies. Loki's no. a good example, too, of how this keeps happening to the characters where you're just like, you're just so charismatic that I like I yes. enjoy seeing you around, where it's like, uh, like a lot of people died in New York City. That's not like a, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, he's like he's like the mirror of Harley. I, I can understand Harley a bit more because she killed people in like a few comics, but Loki's everyone yeah, knows her Loki's crimes Christ. are more low key, even yeah. if it is still murder. More <laughs> low key, huh? But like, but Loki's crimes, everyone knows his crimes. Everyone saw the movies. Everyone knows what he did, yeah. mm -hmm. and they just excuse it. I'm gonna get into some comics bullshit real quick, but yeah. like Loki in the movies is irredeemable, and I think it's like the only time I buy into his like like. The sympathy side is when, like, I just see Thor as being an idiot. Yes, me too. And I, like, I understand why the character of Thor thinks this, but I wish the audience in the movie didn't also think this. Yeah. Yes. But in the comics, they use, like, even when I was getting into, like, the Star Wars bullshit, like, in the comics, Loki dies when he's at the peak of his villainy, and, like, all gods, like, at this point, it had already been established in the comics that the gods go through, like, cycles of rebirth, and he gets reborn with, like, no memories of himself at all, and, like, he's for all intents and purposes, a completely different character. Mm -hmm. And this is when he's like kid Loki. And it's like one of the most beloved Marvel books ever. And the, I'm not going to spoil it, but like the end rectifies his redemption with his old villainy in a way that's really interesting. And this is the thing that I think is the difference is they address it and talk about it and play with the nuances of it where the movies are just like, he's not that bad because he's handsome. Yeah. And that, that kind of sucks. I think that's yeah. the other problem, too, is when a lot of these pieces of media don't actually point out, like, it doesn't even recognize the own villainy of its guy. Like, yes. other than when they're performing it, and afterwards, you don't have characters, especially them on their own, like, people supporting them or, like, friends with them or, like, Thor being like, what you did, it's like, you broke a lot of people. Like, Tony yeah. Stark got more grievances than Loki did. Yeah. For yeah. And one of them is an and actual mass murderer. Yeah. That's the thing is I feel like the, the so much so many times the media that wants us to have these antiheroes and these sympathetic villains don't they're either not smart enough or don't think the audience is smart enough to really actively engage with those questions of morality. So like they just hand wave it and like that sucks. Mm. Cuz then it makes everybody else look worse. Like Thor forgiving Loki constantly makes Thor look like a bigger piece of shit. And that, yeah. that's a, uh, probably the best example we could, we could have given. Uh, I'm a yeah. genius for coming up with it. No, but, <laughs> no, but, I, I, but I think it's the best example because Vegeta and Shadow are like cartoonishly like yeah. characters in, in a, something that's not taken seriously most of the time. Yep. Same thing with Bleach. <laughs> but, but like uh, Loki, the Marvel Universe is trying to build a cinematic universe that's consistent and logical. So and it, it questions it, yes. itself. Yeah, and, and yeah, like you said, I always bring up uh, Iron Man's bad history as a as a shady uh, warmonger and as a selfish billionaire, and that always goes back to bite me. As has happened twice in Spider movies alone. Uh, yeah. So like, but uh, lo but but we're supposed to like forgive Loki somehow. And I I feel like it, maybe it's a little different because th there hasn't actually been an official like forgiving Loki. Like he hasn't come down with he, the Avengers. But he's been a, he's like been the lead here, like anti hero kind of figure in, mo in most of these films. Yeah, and now he's getting his own series as an anti-hero figure. Too. Well, we'll have to see how that works out. 
I, I, I imagine like they'll break up that he just chased it, but it's not going to be up to level. Probably, probably will never be enough to get him off the stage or make him fully redeem what he did. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they haven't really addressed it so far thus far. Yeah, and if they do, it'll probably be in like a TV show on Disney Plus, and not actually in like the narrative that the the universe is built around the movies. Mm-hmm. Cool. But yeah, I think it's. I think that that is a cool talk, guys. We did it. We did it. We've solved. We it. did it. We decided. We, solved, we don't like we deal with the villains. Don't be Mengala. Don't be Loki. Don't be... and die at the end. Die at the end. Yes. Die at the end. <laughs> That's our answer. Capital punishment. You gotta die. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta die. That, that is that is to everything. Like if you're a criminal, you get capital punishment. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks too, though. But yep. we're not talking about the real world. We're talking about these fictional worlds. Yeah. In the real world, where you can blow up a planet. <laughs> yeah, in the real world, if somebody blew up a planet, maybe I would support the death. I don't know. In the real world, you still have people that drill holes in people's skulls. Yeah, they should maybe get death penalty. I don't know. Let's. All right. That's anyway, another <laughs> bonus. Yeah, like, I, we could talk about this forever, actually. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, it's November, so I'm especially grateful for our Patreon backers. So thank you guys for backing us. No we'll Chief November, you... no Villain November, I don't know. No Villain November. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll see you guys back here next month. So thank you, as always, for Divisive Issues. I've been Ryan. I've been Sly. I've been Phil. I've been Daryl. Stay in Patreon mode. I give you the Incredible Flying Machine. <laughs>